Hey folks, we're back for episode two. More setup, more excitement, more death, more infighting, just more. It's a great season so far. We're really excited to see where it's going to take us, and we're happy to have you all here with us, breaking it down. I know we are, uh, there's a lot of different reviews out there, and we're glad you've chosen to spend your afternoon, evening, whenever you're watching this with us. So, let's get to it. A lot to talk about. Sean, what were your, what was your overall impression without being too detailed? What did you think of this episode as compared to episode one and as compared to your expectations in general? Well, I will say it was, uh, I did like it more than episode one. Uh, I, uh, generally speaking, I love the show and I'm going to be positive, but something you pointed out one time, sometimes it's easier to have an opinion about a storyline versus the show as a whole, because I'm really frustrated with the whole Doran thing. So that that's an automatic up for this episode, as far as I'm concerned. Actually, uh, to that, to little, just to jump in there, and I was thinking about that a little more. One thing that's interesting about it is it's not just that these different storylines are different and they're so unbased on each other. It's also that you have entirely different people working on them. You know, like yeah, there's a true. writer, there's different writers for every episode. Different now directors. And, right, yeah. so like some of these areas, like these, there's a crew in Iceland and a crew in you know in eastern europe and in serbia i guess it is and they just or is it croatia i forget anyway they're nowhere near each other somewhere in asia yeah uh, <laughs> asia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so yes yeah, so they're just not connected at all so yeah. it may it almost makes sense that these like they're not in a total vacuum by themselves but they sort of are yeah know? they are gonna have their own style flavor tone or whatever yeah uh, which i also appreciate too uh I know Shay even complains sometimes about the, the, the coloring and the darkness, but you can tell when we're at the wall, you know, yeah. when we're in the north, when we're in King's Landing. Sometimes I guess King's Landing and uh, Bravos seem about the same, or even Dorne, <laughs> the, you know, stone and desertous and orangish, you know. Uh, yeah. It, the coloring, yeah, the color grading really, at least as odd as it is sometimes, it does at least let you know where, you're, where yeah. you are. Yeah. The north is definitely dark and blue. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I liked the episode, and it was not what I was expecting, I will say. Um, the, uh, I don't know, this is getting a, a little detailed, but I, I had an idea in my mind about what that confrontation between the Lannister guards and the, uh, and the mountain was, and it wasn't, it wasn't quite what I thought. I, had a, I guess that was a pretty specific prediction I had, but uh, it was along the lines. But it still didn't play out like I thought either. I thought they would yield to Cersei and... Uh, it was but more anyway. set up, I guess. You know, there. Yeah, that's yeah, another. Sure. You get one more plot lines really getting built up. We'll, I'll talk about him a little more later. But yeah, it's it's like ooh, we haven't quite seen what he can do yet. But they gave us a little more taste. It went a little farther. Yeah, I was talking to a friend though, uh, who you know we were talking about anticipating this episode, and uh, he says, you know, I think there's going to be another shocker. You know what I mean? I think there's going to be another big moment. I'm no, no, there's not going to be. They're not going <laughs> to kill another main character again in a first episode, like. It's already outside the box to have such a big shocker in the beginning like that. They won't do that again. So I was just totally wrong. Uh, they're definitely, uh, I don't know if it's an effort to like progress things or to keep us from guessing. Maybe they don't want to follow too much of a pattern. You know, they, For the first couple seasons, there was this pattern of this you know, penultimate episode being pretty grand. But I feel like by the fourth season, that, that wasn't necessarily true anymore. They still had a grand penultimate ep episode, but it was less yeah. about building up to that. It was yeah. just that episode's going to be big, but there's plenty of other the, big the, before. The Hard Home episode was episode, episode eight, eight right? right? You know, right, right. and yeah, so I think it, Killing Tywin was like a pretty epic moment, and that happened in episode ten. And so, yeah, uh, it's 
it's not necessarily predictable a pattern that they're following through other than you know like people are gonna die <laughs> guns don't kill, kill people this is George still, R. Martin kills people this is still <laughs> Westeros yeah you might yeah. spell it well there is only one way to spell Westeros <laughs> anyway okay so let's start with the first plot line we'll like last week's episode it started in the north it didn't start at the wall it started even farther north but it finished at the wall so we have north sort of as the bookends of the episode and in between we had a lot of King's Landing, we had Sansa and Theon, we had Arya, we had Marine though, no Danny this time, and we had another one of the sort of fringe kingdoms. Instead of Dorne, we had the Iron Islands. And they're becoming less fringe. Well, maybe Dorne is becoming going back to the fringes. It's kind of unclear. They were at least at least that plot line was referenced a little bit with with Tommen and Jamie. But mostly the Iron Islands plot line stood on its own. And it's a bit more of, of the same kind of setup that we're getting in the other regions. And you know, infighting leading to a new leader. I guess there wasn't much real infighting there. It was just boom yeah. and done. <laughs> now there's going to be some more to do there. We can tell, unlike with Dorne, we can be sure there's going to be more to come with the Iron Islands. They're not done there yet. They left it kind of hanging on who's going to be in charge. With Dorne, perhaps we're wondering who's in charge, but they didn't really leave it hanging on that that point it's just well it won't be Tristane and Doran that's <laughs> as yeah. far as what's coming beyond that we don't know so let's talk about where we started very exciting to see the return of Bran plus Hodor and Mira and the three-eyed raven and that's just all really cool and boy does it give you a lot of potential just imagine Bran can if he's seen these flashbacks if he's seen his own father and uncle and aunt at this time, then he can just see anything potentially. And so that just throws the door wide. Talk about not knowing what's coming. We do have some idea of what some visions he's going to see based on trailers and spoilers, things like that. But we cannot assume that's all we're going to see. But let's start with what we did see. What did you think of that flashback of the. This, this would have been, I'm guessing. Loose estimate, we're talking about the late, sorry, the mid-270s. We're talking 30 years, roughly, maybe a little less than 30 years before the start of the show, slash books, because the timeline is similar there. And so it's a pretty it's pretty far back. And there's a lot to get out of the scene, even though it's pretty short and not a lot of interest is actually said it's the it's it's one of those examples where going against what i said last week a bit it is a bit subtle there's some subtleties in this scene but the main points are not subtle which is that you know staying in this vision too long is problematic so it gave it a tinge of sadness which is which i thought was really well done what did you what did you think of the scene in general uh, I, generally, I liked it. Uh, one thing I will say, I was thinking about what you were saying about the subtlety of the show, where on one hand, I do agree that sometimes they're making sure you get something or pounding you over the head with something. But on the other hand, I think they are subtle. And it can be applied a lot of different ways when we talk about something, you know, a work of film, a theme versus a plot point versus a, a costume design. There's a lot of different things to be more over the top or subtle about but there, there's uh, I think there's a lot of nuance in uh, in Game of Thrones in addition to some some clearness um, 
Maybe uh, I should have said that the, that it's not a subtle show. I mean that it doesn't really communicate major plot points subtly. It communicates right, yeah. details very subtly. Yes, There's lots of yeah. great little details, but those details aren't necessarily a part of the main story. Like for example, I noticed that that Lady Bolton, Lady Walda, had a, uh, a Bolton sigil on her chest, a uh, actual metal figure of the upside down man on a cross, yeah. and you know those are just little things. They they went through the effort of making that, and that's detailed. And that is subtle, but you, there's nothing to say about that other than oh, that's cool. That's a good detail. It's not yeah. like oh she's wearing the. That means that oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's just cool. Yeah. Um, well, the scene I, I definitely like the scene and uh, something I thought was uh, a little extra, little interesting bit about it. The the filmmakers or showrunners or whatever uh, they said. You know, at the end of the show, they have like a little behind the scenes kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, something they said in there was that they don't. Generally speaking, they don't like, or this one guy who was speaking said he doesn't like flashbacks. He thinks it's sometimes a sign of poor storytelling. I don't know if I agree with that. I hadn't really, that had never occurred to me before, and I haven't thought about it enough now that that idea has been planted in my mind. But uh, the thing that he said that he appreciated, which I was also taking note of, is that this is, a, this is not a standard flashback. This isn't something that we're seeing from the past. This is something that a character in the show is seeing from the past. We also get to see it with him, but part of this flashback is, you know, Bran himself, you know, how he reacts to it, how it affects him. Um, and uh, I also thought it was a really neat, I thought that line when it kind of came out of it, when the, the Raven character, you know, tells him, the ocean is beautiful, but if you stay underneath it too long, you'll drown. I thought that was a really neat way to, to think about the idea of, sort of subtly, if you will, like without getting into this quote-unquote science or the details of the magic of it all, you know, like it's midichlorians, Bran, you know, <laughs> don't use up all your midichlorians. You know, we just kind of get the idea that he can't become obsessed with this or get lost in the trance or whatever it is. It, these visions are limited. It's not, uh, I was going to say, it's not magic. He can't just see anything he wants. I guess it is magic. <laughs> he kind of <laughs> can he, see yeah. anything he wants. But. <laughs> but he may not get to pick and choose what and when or for how long his visions are coming. Well, yeah. right now he certainly cannot. It's He even says, you finally show me something I want to see and then don't let me yeah. you know stay there. So it's, it's, he's, it's clear that right now the three-eyed raven is... is directing these visions and Bran is sort of following along and going where he's taken. I assume eventually he will be able to do this on his own. Uh, also, let's say he is. Say that the... I wish they would give us a name for this character. I don't know what to call him. What, what do people call him? Is there like a, a nickname he has? Yeah, he's, he's... Tree guy? He's Blood Raven. Blood Raven? Okay, I'll call him Blood Raven for now. Let's say Blood Raven is like guiding him through this experience of visions or whatever. Why did Blood Raven take him here? There's a lot of things he could have shown him. But this is the one he did show him. I, you know, it's mm -hmm. interesting to think about why he, he chose this one, what else he's going to choose, what would Bran choose? A Bran just could say, show me, blah, blah, blah. I wonder what Bran, would Bran say, show me when I fell off that tower. I wonder mm. if, if or when <laughs> Bran is going to want that vision. Uh, and I wonder what the implications of it will be. I wonder if Bran will be hell-bent on revenge. Or if he might be closer to the right state of mind that the faceless men want Arya to get to. Like, look, that's, that's your little quest for revenge in a big picture. It's not, it's not what's really important here. Bran is, I, I feel like Bran's less likely to see this vision and then want to go get revenge against Jaime, you know. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows how things would change if that happened. But uh, who knows if he'll ever see that vision or not. If How important it is to him. If maybe the Raven specifically won't want him to see that. Doesn't want to risk him you know, 
questing for revenge instead of saving the kingdom or overtaking the kingdom. I don't know. I don't know if this Blood Raven guy, maybe he's... There's sort of this default that Bran is a good guy and he's been brought by good guys to another good guy, right? That uh, Jojen and Mira, you know, that this whole quest. I don't know. In the back of my mind, I can't help but wonder if... if uh, if it's if it he could be getting duped in some way, his powers are being manipulated or taken advantage of. That maybe this Blood Raven guy is in cahoots with the Night's King or something like that. I don't know if that's likely, but it seems pretty far fetched to me because yeah. it, there's just no hint of it at all. There's no there's again there's there's no not even subtlety that suggests that this guy is up to no good, and he's wearing the he's clearly an ex brother of the night's watch as well oh really that, that wasn't well he's wearing black he's wearing all black and okay all. yeah okay so i don't think that that i that's a theory that's been around for a while actually that maybe he's up to no good but i just ne have never seen any sort of yeah I don't it's just because this, uh... it's an idea that happens it's that's, right. that's why it's not that there's anything that actually suggested it. it's just hey should we consider the possibility right. but there's nothing to back it up but that my my counterpoint is what is there to suggest that he's good? Well, maybe there is, but I haven't. Well, there's plenty. A there's plenty thing. to suggest okay, that he's yeah. good. Is that he's talking about fighting the White Walkers? He's talking about preparing him for this great war. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, of that, that. If to, in order to think that he's not being prepared for something good, you have to think that maybe the White Walkers are not evil, which is also right. a really maybe, tough sell. Right. But maybe they are preparing <laughs> to fight the Lord of Light. You know. Uh, but there's just no indication of that either, yeah. right? Like, yeah. this is all just kind of out there. There, It's possible, but we've seen nothing to confirm it or nothing to back it up. So, I don't know. I tend to like to stay aware with what we have, what we what we know. So, it's interesting. Like you say, we're, we are honestly, why is he showing him this vision? Why, yeah. are, why is he seeing Winterfell 30, you know, 25 to 30 years ago? What's the point of that? And that, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It might just be... This is what you're protecting. This is why you have to make this great sacrifice. This is why it's important to learn these things. This is to motivate you. No, families like this will not happen if the White Walkers, you know, run wild. Maybe it's even just for morale, just to like keep his spirits up or something, you know. Yeah, but potentially. And is but what but what's interesting to me as well is he's Mira says, or rather Bran says to Mira as we move on to the next part of this scene, Bran says you know, the three-eyed raven says there's going to be a war. You know, and Mira says, what? Well, we're not going to, but we're not going to fight it in there, you know, in this cave. And that made us wonder how long have they been there? Well, it's been a while. It's been quite a while. It's been many months. It's potentially been more than a half a year. We're not really sure because the time, the show is a little fast and loose with time, but it's been a while. We've seen Lady Bolton carry a child to term, <laughs> for example. And we've seen Mira, not Mira, but uh, Marcella and Tommen grow substantially in around the same time over the course of the last season. Uh, except for Gilly's baby not growing at all. <laughs> 
there's been a lot of time. It seems that time has passed everywhere else. So it seems that there's... You can kind of understand why Mira is a little like, yeah. what the hell am I doing? I'm just sitting here. I'm doing nothing. She's just you can impressed Im about her brother being dead, and she's just, yeah. she probably feels useless. Even if they've only been there... Let's say they've only been there for three weeks. What's she been doing for three weeks? Just sitting around, twiddling her thumbs, thinking about her dead brother, wanting to go back home to her family and her dad while Bran's just half unconscious. <laughs> but I can imagine after three weeks, she might be in a frustrated, bored, angsty state. What if it was three months? A year and three months. Like, I, uh, it's it's uh, almost unrealistic that she's still there just sitting around. Like, maybe she spends time hunting food or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But uh, I guess she could be doing some training of her own, learning yeah. about stuff. But Her frustration leads us to an interesting point, though, which comes up from the Child of the Forest, who, by the way, they fixed the appearance of the Children of the Forest. It was very odd how they portrayed them at the end of season four throwing the fireballs, looking like a pale child. So I suppose that pale child was a child of the children of the forest. That's the only way we can explain I, it. I didn't have any kind of expectation for what they look like, and, and people told me that they're supposed to look more... Uh, they're not supposed to look like pale, is, uh, el pale tiny elves, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> but I, I can imagine it being that maybe children of the forest might be a broad term that includes many races that look different, or maybe even there's some sort of enchantment in the closer they are to this tree, the more natural they look, and the more time they spend away, they adjust I don't to think look more humanoid I think that's just or something. I but. think that's just coming up with an explanation to explain a continuity error. Like, yeah, they just yeah. change. I mean, <laughs> I don't think we need to explain it. It's clear that they just didn't, they either weren't happy with what they did, or they decided they did it wrong, or some combination. Or they got that. a better budget, or... Well, they definitely got a better budget. <laughs> that's for sure. They, they, they spent it in that way. It's kind of the same as how some actors have changed. They just had to, you know, yeah. switch people out just for real-world reasons, and for whatever reason, they made that change. It's kind of odd to have that change, but I like it because it is it is more what I was expecting them to look like, and I think this looks better, too. Regardless of my expectations, I think this just looks cooler. So we can just, like you said, it's, it's appropriate to imagine that they just don't all look, they, there's variety in how they look, and that's fine. You can imagine that one's a lot older than the other, and they change over time or something like that. Without it, that doesn't even have to require some sort of strange magic. So one interesting thing about that flashback as well, before we move on and talk about a few other details regarding it, is the uh, movement of the plot alongside the concept of this war coming and the fact that Jojen, I mean not Jojen rather, Bran and Mira are apparently going to be leaving the cave. That's something, that was a big question, whether Bran would just stay there forever, whether he's going to be part of... The tree, part of the network, etc. Whether that's going to be permanent, whether it's going to, you know, he's just going to grow as part of the tree, and that's that. But this child of the force indicates that he won't be staying here forever, and that he's going to need Mira when that time comes. So say you do have a part to play. Well, that is fascinating to me because I had, I was of the mind that he would never be leaving, or that at least it was a strong chance. Did that did that mean anything to you, or had you ever really thought about it in those lines? I. I hadn't really thought about it in those lines, but when I think about it, uh, this is sort of what I expect. When, when, I, when I was watching the show, this is what I kind of think is she, he's going to stay and she's going to leave. That he, It's hard for him to travel around, but it seems like there's clear potential for him to have an effect on things without being on a horse with a sword. Does that make sense? Yeah. He can get absorbed up into this tree and take over the role of the Three-Eyed Raven or whatever and maybe manipulate, have visions, communicate, whatever it is. 
but she's she can't just stay there and wait for whatever you know. She's gonna go be part of the action. You know? Yeah, definitely. And I think it'd be neat to follow her character. I think it'd be neat for her to be a new person <laughs> that we're following the adventure of. I think her character is intriguing and, and and even more so. And I I'm hoping this scene was kind of setting up more of her as a as an individual character, not someone attached to Brand, a character yeah. on her own. You know. Uh, also, by the way, I feel like her dad is still like a character that's out there with some kind of relevance and. Uh, Maybe he'll come into play, too. Maybe that'll be part of how or why she'll return to him. Um, there's lots of potential there, but my only concern about it all is, like, how are they going to fit it all in? There's only so much more. Like, <laughs> I, I wish there were just 12 or 14 episodes per season, you know? I wish they could hash out more of this stuff. But. That would be nice. Okay, let's move on to The Wall. There's going to be plenty more to talk about with Brand Storyline, but it's just getting started, and... There'll be a lot more to say once it gets a little farther along. We know from the trailer from next e- next week that there's going to be another scene there. I won't talk about what it is. Just with as it was as it was last week and as it will be all season long. Anytime they talk about what's on the next episode, we're going to deal with that after the credits. So we won't spoil that during the episode. If you avoided the next on Game of Thrones section at the end of the episode, we're not going to spoil that for you. But we will deal with it at the end of the episode if you've already watched it and want to discuss it. So, oh, wanted to say one last thing. I do feel like they were taking a moment there to develop Hodor's character too. I think that they, uh, if if anyone out there wasn't already wondering why Hodor is like he is, now we are. Now we're like, okay, something happened. What happened? Yeah. You know, what is this? What's you up wonder whether it was physical trauma or mental trauma. Pro- I'm guessing physical, something like a blow to the head or something like yeah. that. That would be a simple someone enough way to explain. Suggested it. that he lost a bet. that's that's Uh, a guy who really owns up to his bets apparently but i wonder if maybe somehow it's part of some bigger destiny if somehow it was known that he would be needed to cart bran up to the north and i don't know if Hmm. nan seems all to be you know particularly superstitious maybe something somehow she knows or suspected some weird thing in his youth that she has made her believe in gods and the magic of it all or something i don't know i don't hmm. know I'm, I'm curious if if that was just a little bit they'll never do it again or if we're gonna get more about hodor i have a feeling we will i have a feeling we'll get more about him but i don't think there's any deeper meaning to it to be honest i think it's just an interesting i just think it's just filling in his backstory that yeah. would be a little too like kids movie-ish to me if like all along hodor has actually been really smart and he's important that, no i don't think that's the case i think I that's, think that's yeah i hope not good <laughs> okay so let's talk about the wall um we have Sort of what was expected. They sort of they gave, they gave some options, some possibilities for how this situation with the Night's Watch would be resolved. Whether it would be the Wildlings or Melisandre, it seemed more likely that it would be the Wildlings because Ed went off to get them, and we know the Wildlings are gonna aren't just gonna sit there and do nothing. We know they're gonna be a part of the season. At least it'd be weird if they weren't. And it was kind of unclear what Melisandre would even do to stop the Night's Watch from attacking the other Night's Watch. Not that it wasn't possible. Not that we. Not that our imagination is the limit of things. But it seemed more likely that the Wildlings would be the way that this would get resolved. And it was. And I was glad to see it be not so bloody. I didn't want them to just kill each other all, all off. And the, the brothers, I guess you could say they didn't, They maybe they weren't fully with Thorn. They kind of had to be with Thorn because yeah. his side kind of won. But they weren't happy with how it went down. They weren't willing to die for it. They certainly weren't willing to fight that giant. One one is just intimidating <laughs> as hell. And the wildlings, to be fair, they didn't come in just trying to kill everybody. They just came in trying to intimidate. They were like, yeah. "Hey," and I bet that's what Ed said. Ed was like, "Don't just go in there and kill everybody. Let's try to like just overwhelm them, show a force, make them lay down their weapons, try to keep the the bloodshed to a minimum." 
Yeah. Yeah, there's a general, you know, movement here for, uh, you know, both these sides. Most of them on some level agree, hey, we're on the same side. That you know, like, the wildlings that came across, I feel like on some level they got to realize... Yeah, these crows, whatever. <laughs> John already we're sold worried, them on that idea right. of... We're worried about a different thing. And yeah. to whatever extent they were sold or not sold by John, once they got attacked, you know what I mean, the people who survived, who also are, were a larger ratio of, you know, women and children and old folk or whatever, people who aren't, like, bloodthirsty trying to kill, they're just trying to survive. And the yeah. alpha in their group is Tormund, who is right. kind of on this, like, yeah, we need to yeah. work with them kind of attitude. Yeah. So. so it's not, once they get across the wall, it's not, I, I don't believe the wildlings, which Alistair Thorne seemed to think. Alistair Thorne seemed to think that the wildlings like, aha, now we can attack the wild, now we can attack the wall and defeat them, the crows once and for all. But I don't think, I think they just want land to live on without being attacked by zombies, you know what I mean? And, uh, I have still wondered what Alistair Thorne thought he was going to do now that he killed John, like... It's, it's too late. I don't know what he, he's just seem. He's just too stubborn or frustrated or whatever it is. I, um, I, I can't help uh, but wonder too. I, I don't want him to just be this pure evil bad guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, he seems, seems like, like an intelligent is, man yeah. trying to do the right thing, but just with misguided emotional blocks. You know, f- you know, stuck in his ways, traditions, and so on, and so on. Um, and I, I, I want to believe that if. Uh, Davos had opened the door and walked out with everyone. They wouldn't have just slaughtered them all dead, but I don't know. I don't know, though, you know? Yeah, you wonder. I mean, he's throwing all, he's like, we'll even let the dire wolf loose north of the wall. I'm like, will you really? Yeah, he's just saying <laughs> all the things he needs to say. And yeah, I just but starting to not believe him. Like, I don't know if we should believe you, and Davos certainly doesn't believe you. And yeah. <laughs> the guys in there, none of them believe anything yeah. he's saying. And I what, if, what do you think is going to happen now, though? What do you think they're going to do with the traitors? I'm with, curious. With Ed and, not Ed, sorry, with, with Thorn and with Ollie and the other nameless. But, well, not nameless. He named them Boa Marsh and he, like, went down a row. I mean, Boa Marsh and, you know? and Othel Yarwick. Yeah, that's true. Those, I assume that they were also locked up. It was kind of, they didn't really show specifically besides Ollie yeah. and, and Thorn, who was getting thrown in jail. But presumably those two as well and, yeah. and some of the other names as well. It's hard to say what's going to happen now. Like, what are they yeah, going to do to them? Are they just going to be executed and chop off traitors? their heads? Including the little kid? You're going to chop his head off? Uh, what are you going to do? Send him to the wall? The other wall? Be, yeah, the wall wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Send them out uh, to be to, to face the White Walker. Send them out as scouts. Make, make them uh, do the dan- most dangerous work to redeem themselves. Yeah. It's hard to just throw throw fighters away. It's, I was gonna say it seems yeah. like they can't afford to lose able-bodied men, but uh, yeah, exactly. But they also can't afford to have treacherous men around. So uh, it's also just hard to predict. Like now we know John. Yeah, in the episode, John is alive. We can talk about that next. But yeah. the fact that he's alive now, Thorne and Ollie are like, what the? Yeah. Like now they can't even. He's back. Like we killed him, and he came. back. Back. Like, what do you like? What do they think? That might win true loyalty. That might win unquestioning loyalty. Yeah, yeah. that might be like, okay, the I gods be... are on your side. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know what happened there without trying to count for John. I don't know if we should talk about that now or save it. Or no, we'll we'll talk about some more of that at the end. There, okay. there is a little bit of that in the trailer, but we'll save that for the end. It doesn't reveal a whole lot, but we should save it just in case. So. Yeah, and I'm, I was glad to see Ed get through all that. You know, he wasn't in the trailers much, and that worried me a bit. He's still, I'm still worried for him because he's at the wall, and that's just a dangerous place yeah. to be. And I don't suppose that he can come back like John did <laughs> if something mm-hmm. happens to him. And if he does come back, it'll be yeah. 
uh, the wrong kind of coming back, you know, with blue eyes and such. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's just a strange thing. It's hard wonder, to predict how people react to magical events. Like, yeah, you can't well, uh, guess. I want to clarify what I meant was to, I don't necessarily want to talk about like what we think for the next episode based on trails or whatever, but more so like, do we want to talk about the scene with Melisandre? And oh yeah, we do. We, we, yeah, okay. we can do that. Because trying to think about what's going to happen with Alistair Thorne and these men that they locked up or whatever is connected to, you know, John. If John, maybe John wakes up and like collapses back down dead, and then mm-hmm. they burn his body. But probably he's gonna <laughs> walk out and talk to everyone. Hey, I'm back. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe it. And da 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 da. And uh, with all that, I think that you know. Like, already I was kind of wondering, I, what I sort of expected in the first place was for the Wildlings to come in with, like, a commando team and extract John and hmm. Davos and Melisandre. I didn't expect there to be this, like, show of force and and release them, and now with stability, you know what I mean, still there at the wall. Yeah. And I, I'm, so one thing I'm kind of wondering is, are the Wildlings just going to man the wall? The, you know, that doesn't seem like a terrible idea. They know the force, the, the threat on the other side. They're, they've got the manpower to do it. Um they were willing they, to follow John in this, so yeah. I think that they would be willing. I don't think they're going to join the Night's Watch. You can take the yeah. vows. That would that's just probably a not. too much for them. But they might fight alongside the Night's Watch, manning the wall against as an the ally. Yeah, attack. some sort and, of. And whether or not there'll be a bunch of wildlings or just a dozen or, or a dozen that are here now, which maybe doesn't seem like many, but the Night's Watch is down to like less than fifty guys, so a dozen men is like a twenty percent increase. You know, so. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think that uh, I, I I wonder if John will feel more free to go do something at Winterfell, or if he'll feel more bound to be at the Wall than ever. Uh, if Alistair Thorne and the other men will like swear allegiance, and if they do, if John will accept it, uh, there there are lots of questions to come from this, and I, I expect it to be very interesting to see it all play out, um, especially with things like. Sansa showing up or something like that. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that could happen next episode or next season. I don't know how quick they'll get to that stuff. But. It seems like it'll be happening pretty quick. The way this show moves, it seems to move pretty rapidly on a lot of points like that. And yeah, and we do get, in, in which we'll talk about later, Sansa does confirm that she's that's where she wants to go. And I guess John will be alive. John will be back. I mean, he is back. Mm-hmm. I guess he'll be able to talk to her, <laughs> whatever, yeah. however that works. I thought she wouldn't get there. I thought on the way there, she would find out he was dead and or even if he had been removed or whatever, you know. I don't see how she could find that out. How would news of that spread? Um, The the, the brothers aren't going to go tell, hey, we killed John. They're not going to do that because that's like Bruce Bolton said, you don't, that's not something you do. So if you're going to do it, you keep it quiet. So I don't think there's any way that news would have spilled out. Um, that doesn't mean you, you aren't right that something will stop her from going there, but I just don't think it'll be that. Dolor has said he could have told people once he's out of there. Could have spread through him. He tells the wildlings. The wildlings. wildlings tell other sure, people. some of the wildlings might have found out. Yeah. That's possible. But once they, but that then you'd think that the news would, you know, that just happened. Yeah, like, right, right. She wouldn't know yet. But it's they're the not going to get to the wall in like a day. It's well, like what I'm saying is that news that he's back will spread as well. Right, exactly. That'll also happen. It, so it, yeah. that might even spread faster than the news that he had died. Because it's so like the news oh, that he yeah. died may never even come. <laughs> right. Yeah. Someone dying is like okay. Well, people die. Someone coming back from the dead. That is a news. That's like someone coming back and talking. And not being, you know, not coming back from the dead trying to kill other people. That is not so normal. Let's talk about, yes, let's talk about the actual resurrection. What did you think about the actual resurrection? To me, it was, 
It lacked fanfare, which is fine. It just shouldn't, doesn't necessarily have to have fanfare. It would be kind of cheesy for like all the music, like, oh, he's coming back. Ooh, John. I mean, we kind of expected it. So, like, it's it would be silly to give us all this fanfare on something that we kind of saw coming. Yeah. So, on one hand. But on the other hand, I maybe did expect a little more, but then I reflected on it and I thought, and I thought it was a little awkward that she just didn't know what she was doing and it worked. But so did Thoros. That is what we yeah. saw before. Yeah. Thoros, he was doing what he does every time he was dead. It's just this general prayer he says over a dead body over his dead friend he really he meant it he was he was like i want to give him the send-off but he he'd done it hundreds of times before and this time the person came back to life he was like whoa so on um, i can i'm with you if you're out there saying oh it was awkward it was weird but but i don't feel bad about that i agree that it was awkward i think it was supposed to be awkward it's the whole idea of nobody knows how magic works it's not supposed to. You're not supposed to have a, a rule book that says, say these words in this order, dance around the table three times, do this, you know, wash his hair. You know, like that's not in the instruction manual. <laughs> so it's I kind of like that we don't know how it works. And I, and I don't think that we needed to have any sort of death pays for life kind of thing because that's not how it worked before. We've seen death pay for life, but that was brought Drogo back as a vegetable. You know, Beric... He just came back. He had some, maybe his, he wasn't all there in the head, which maybe is what we're going to see with John. Maybe he'll forget some things. He won't be all together. But there was no strange, crazy ritual. There was no sacrifice. It, it kind of went down the same way. So, yeah, give me your thoughts. I, I asked for your thoughts, and then I just went on like a three-minute <laughs> uh, diatribe there. But, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I, I, I remember thinking in the first place... For, First of all, keep in mind, I had this hope that he wouldn't come back. That was you just did, it, yeah. right? Yeah. And so when it seemed like it wasn't working, I was like, oh, maybe he won't. You know, like it it does seem like they wouldn't build up all the suspense for it to not happen. Um, <laughs> but, but, the, but the fact is, imagine for a second if it hadn't happened. That would have been as much <laughs> excitement or frustration or whatever as anything else that's happened in the show. It would be so kind of like the bookend uh, trope break that Ned being killed in season right, one was yeah. like, whoa, this show kills people, main characters. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, right when you put it, like, that's a trope in, in movies and TV for yeah. someone coming back when you think they're dead, when they actually survived or they're coming back because it's a miracle and he doesn't come back. Yeah, that would be something. And there are certain, I'm going to say, uh, as, as much as this show does, it's unique or extraordinary or whatever there are still certain things we can start to see a pattern in the first few seasons how like the penultimate episode has some epic moment you know but they're kind of breaking away from that pattern we have you know first episode kill main character second episode man all right they're not saving it till the end you know uh so it seems like with all that they could easily uh bring a cat into the picture <laughs> um it seems like they could easily uh, no cats were sacrificed in the filming of this episode <laughs> Or in the filming of Game of Thrones. It seems like they, they could have e easily not brought him back. And, and uh, that would have been as exciting or as much hype or whatever as uh, many of the other things that they've done. It been big surprises or shockers or you thought they were building up to something that didn't happen. And I would have been excited about it. But they, they didn't go that route. And, and to be fair, I'm still excited for John to be back too. He still is a, a big, you know, intriguing character. Um, but I thought that I did, I also liked the idea of the, going up to it that I was wondering what's even going to make Melisandre try to resurrect him? What's going to make it occur? How, it's not like she she doesn't have some idea that he has King's blood. It's she doesn't know how to do the resurrection. She barely believes that that other guy did it in the first place. And maybe they'll try to burn a body and it won't burn. Or, mm -hmm. or I also was under the impression that they were going to be kind of like escaping out of Winterfell and maybe John's body would be left. I, you know I really didn't know. So I also liked the idea that she's just. 
I don't know. I'll try this. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. He's just. I don't even want to do this. You're Dave, the thing that made it occur to her to try. Davos just asked. Davos asking her. Yeah. She's like, He's eh, like, all right, fine. leave me alone. He's like, come on, come on. The gods, your predictions, just do it, do it. She's like, fine, whatever, just leave me alone. I'll do it, you know. <laughs> and she's like, there, I did it. See. <sighs> it didn't work. Yeah. Oh, it did work. She hasn't seen that yet. Yeah. But I, I like the. I liked her acting a lot there. She really did seem despondent. We've, we're so used to seeing her as this like intense zealot, you know, who, who's got incredible confidence. Seeing her go the complete opposite, saying no. Like I loved that it was a little bit of humor in there. She he he says, "I assume you know why I'm here," and she's, "I'll know after you tell me." <laughs> I mean, that was just straight out of some some sort of comic movie. I, it was great, but it was also sad because you know she's. We're start as we talked about a bit last episode. I think they're starting to want us to feel a little something for her, even though she's a child burner. <laughs> In the past, you would have expected her to respond with, "I assume you know why I'm here." She would have said something like, "The Lord of Light will reveal all in time." <laughs> yeah, like, she would say some sort of uh, yeah, zealot thing. That <laughs> but by the way, I noticed something else in this scene. Okay, Melisandre was cold. She was. She was bundled up by the fire. She wasn't wearing the necklace either until the actual resurrection. She was. Wait, are you sure she wasn't? Mm-hmm. You could see the top of her. She had a thing. She had the, it was covered here, but there was you could tell there was empty huh. skin. The, the, the necklace is big. You can't miss it. Even yeah, when it's, yeah. when it's when it, you can't just cover it simply. I didn't particularly take note of that or not. The but first thing mind, I looked for is like she's still not uh, wearing it. I took the necklace to be the thing that was giving enchanting her appearance. Yeah. And so I thought she must still be wearing it, but I guess not necessarily. I don't know. Yeah, that's not necessarily the case. And I, I was there was a bit of minor controversy about that whether it was a continuity error. I wasn't so sure either way. But I think it makes it clear that the, the the necklace is not the source of her appearance. It is perhaps part of it, or maybe it makes it easier. Yeah. But I think some people are... I'm going to slightly break one of my rules here. They're confusing some things with book canon. Book, okay. The books have more hinted at that, even without saying it outright either, that that is necessary. So I think some people think that because of the, that, that they assume it's true in the show. The show has not made it that way, and we do not need to assume that the show is the same as the books. They're not. They're very similar. They're not the same. So just because it worked that way in the books does not mean, well, might work that way in the books. Again, it's not 100% clear. So I think that's where that confusion came from. I don't think so now. I will say officially, I do not think it was a continuity error. I think they simply are not going that route. The necklace is just part of her look. It may be part of what enables her to look different, but it is not the thing. It is not the like, crucial be, focus. At the same moment, she's physically disrobing. She might also, which would include taking her necklace off, she yeah. might also decide to... Uh, disrobe her enchantment or whatever. Yeah. So that's that's how I, that's my take on that. So do we have anything more on this scene, or is there? This is still another big setup. It's a huge piece of setup. The, just the fact that John is still a character, and the fact that there's a resurrection, a real resurrection, that a lot more people will be exposed to the fact that this can happen. Only the. It's funny that really only this small group of outlaws in the Riverlands has seen this, yeah. and we've hardly even seen them. Once they saw it. They're the only ones besides Arya and Melisandre did see it. And a few others. That's it. It's this, this. But I think news that this kind of thing is possible is going to start spreading more. And what kind of impact will that have on, on Westeros in general? That's going to make people, people a little more religious. It's going to be more like belief in the supernatural. There's going to be, how's that going to affect people's belief in the seven? I, I can see it just, you know, some religious upheaval. I can, on one hand, I could see that, but on the other hand, I could also see it blown off. I could also, ah, uh, more tales from the north. Yeah. Those silly yeah, northerners, yeah. you know, there are already, people aren't, are already aren't giving credence to the 
the zombies that are coming. You know, That's a good point. Trustworthy people have warned other, uh, you know, Tyrion has gotten word from the North, from people he knows and trusts at the North about this. And he made an attempt to tell other people, and they weren't listening. So he's like, oh, well. And he he didn't follow up. He's not warning Danny about it. You know what I mean? Even Tyrion yeah. doesn't seem overly concerned, you know. That is a very good point. It's not until it's in your face. You're not they need adjust, to see you know? it. Yeah. So maybe some of the even like like we we talked about the Boltons briefly. They're not concerned about any of this. They don't even. Yeah. <laughs> they have no idea. <laughs> and of course, like you said, if someone did if someone did throw that out there, they would think, oh, it's just them. They need. They're trying to get help. You know, they don't. Yeah. They're exaggerating. Yeah. And that's that's the world they live in. There, people do. You know, when you hear stories. You believe that there's it's it's the game of telephone come come to life where every story you hear from far off you have to expect it's been exaggerated. I mean, unless you get, if you get a raven, you know, from a trusted source, that's one thing. But if you hear rumor passed through ten different people before it got to you, you can't yeah. expect that it's the about truth. something that's so fantastic in the first place. Yeah. Now here's where it might cause uh, uh, a religious movement among the wildlings. Tormund might be like, whoa. Whoa, it, holy crap. You know, he was the first to dismiss it. He might be the most adjusted by the realization of it being a truth, you know. Yeah, maybe. Be, they've seen the dead walk, the wildlings have, but they've yeah. never seen the dead, well, as far as we know, even they've never seen the dead come back normally and still be who they were before they did. They've only seen these animated bodies. So to them, yeah, that's a whole different thing. That's a whole, like, and it, wow, it what be, is uh, this? A little bit more adjusted to mysticalness if you will because yeah. the warg they had a warg and he could see visions through the the raven and whatnot so yeah uh, it doesn't sound as fantastical to them the idea yeah. of magic stuff happening around them and to them but 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 this is still a step farther oh than. for sure for sure they've yeah. been all those other forms of magic they're at least used to like you said the skin changing the warging that's it's they're more used to it but yeah. that's the point they're more used to it it's it's been in their culture for thousands of years remember even the person performing the rituals was dismissive of the whole thing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah of course like, Tormund's not like, too, she's just like please yeah yeah which I thought was cool. It shows how... By the way, I need to look up what she was saying. I need to look up in Valyrian what she was saying. I caught one word. She kept saying the word parasites over and over, and that means fire. Okay. So she was maybe she's saying, fill him with fire, give him the light of fire. I don't know. If, you, if you're one of those who watches our Book to Show review episodes on Wednesday evenings, or if you listen to it on audio on Thursdays, I'll try to get that translation uh, by then. She might have been saying, you deserve to be fired... It's about time they fired you. I'm surprised they didn't fire you sooner. You did a bad job. <laughs> I hope you don't get fired again when I bring you back to life. <laughs> okay, let's take it south. Let's go to King's Landing. We'll be coming back to the north to talk about the Boltons and Sans and Theon. But let's go to King's Landing for a while. Let's change it up. Now, there's a, there are some subtleties to this scene. I think what we saw with the scene with the drunk guy getting his head smashed in by Robert Strong. I think that, or by the mountain, rather. I think that is kind of a clever scene, although it seemed like a throwaway scene. There's not a lot to take out of it, what actually happened. I think the implication is important, and that's that Cersei is still being Cersei. She's doesn't take insults kindly. She's vicious. She's starting to be powerful again. She's starting to use her power, starting to exercise her authority again in the kind of dirty, dark ways that she does, kind of petty things. What does she care what this guy is saying about her. Why does it matter? Well, it doesn't, but that's how Cersei is. Tywin would ignore it. Tywin would, would say, you know, you know, the lion is not concerned with opinions. If, if someone said that to his face, he would have to take action because yeah. this, this is how things are. But just what they're saying in the gutters, Tywin wouldn't, give a, wouldn't care. 
that's a big difference. That's a lesson he didn't. She didn't learn from her father. And I think that's what's happening here. Because other than that, it's just this. I'm not sure. That don't. I'll have to go a little deep to tell you why I think I disagree with you. Okay. Uh, one, I think one thing that scene does is show us how the people on the streets, how it did have an impact, how Cersei has less respect now among the people or whatever. I agree. Maybe that the was, that or the Lannisters in general. Good um, point. Another thing that it does is show just how powerful the mountain is. You just can't, he's just like, he's a different thing, you know? Like, <laughs> he's I, a whole other I level remember, of strong. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, <laughs> but going back to when they were building up to the duel between him and Oberon, that I, I liked the idea that he would win because I like the idea that the I think I might have said Tywin specifically, but the Lannisters just have this unstoppable force. They just have this trump card, you know? And in, uh, and for a split moment, it looked like Oberon took him out. I was like, well, I guess he's not indestructible. But then sure enough, he won after all. I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if that's what I wanted really. I, said, I know I said it, but... <laughs> but then he does. He is back again. He is this unstoppable force. And I think on... Now, it still might be showing what you're saying. That Cersei's like back to her old ways. But it might it, it might be... It, I think it's still showing those two things that I'm saying. One, pinning on the street, which they've already established a pattern of showing us that that on some level matters, right? Yeah. Um... We saw Tyrion Navarish trying to get pinned in the street. Doran not knowing to pin in the street. Okay, so, and it also shows the power of the mountain. Now, what I think, the reason I'm disagreeing that it's showing Cersei being back to her old tricks, and I'm not necessarily saying you're wrong, but this is just a thing I'm thinking about. Goes Going back to the last episode, something I forgot to bring up last episode. Cersei didn't blame anyone. I remember watching the episode when Jamie's sailing up with Marcella, and you're like, oh, and she's like realizing, oh, wow. What we're waiting for, what I was waiting for, is her tirade. This is your fault, Jamie. You failed me. You're her father, and you couldn't even da-da-da. Those damn Martells, we're going to take those da-da-da. But none of that, none of, she was, she did. It was she the prophecy. Showed, she blamed it on yeah, the prophecy instead. Right, and, and with minimal emotion, too. Maybe some sadness, but not anger, not blame, not vengeance. It was despair. Yeah. Right, and so it makes me think that she wouldn't, you know, be hell-bent to go punish the Rand or do it. I don't even know how aware she would be. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Maybe. I just, uh, I, I'm i not so sure of it. I, I, I can't help but wonder if Cersei has a new leaf turned over. Maybe she's holding it all inside and more wrath than ever before is going to come out before this season's over. But maybe I she think has so. calmed her tempers. I, I don't think so. And I think that what we got from the Tommen scene with her is that Tommen... Is come is finally coming along to her way of things. She's like, I should have done this. I should have been stronger. I should have done what you taught me to do, and that was. I thought that was even though she didn't show it in her face. It was. I think that was very validating for Cersei. She's like, okay, yeah. now it's on. My son understands. He understands yeah. that we have to be vicious. That you have to be brutal to make. You know, you have to rule with fear. You have to do these things, or else because it's a dog eat dog world, and you are a lion eat lion world, and that's that's just how it is. I have some thoughts on Tom too. Okay. All right. Uh, I wonder how vicious he really is, has come to be. You know <laughs> Probably, what I mean? Yeah, I wonder if it's just talk. For, right. <laughs> Does he really have the stomach for it? Partly what he's saying there is kind of like Jamie with Cersei. He's saying what he needs to say. He's he's trying to support her. He's He is realizing his errors. He is wishing he had done something different. But uh, the whole time I couldn't help but compare and contrast him and Joffrey. Remember how he snapped at Jamie a little bit there? And uh, he almost immediately apologized. He calmed back down, apologized, 
and then also uh, explain himself in a very uh, introspective way. You know, like evaluated his own thoughts and his own actions, thought about what he could have done. So completely opposite of Joffrey, right? Joffrey is in denial about his real self. He <laughs> puts blame onto other people. He won't address any real emotion. He won't apologize for anything. He will yeah. only snap, uh, you know. Tommen it, is the opposite right. of his brother. <laughs> and so it kind of makes me think that Tommen might have realize he has burdens that he doesn't want to face up to or will have a hard time with and realizes mistakes that he's made um but i don't know and in his mind would rather have done all these things that seem bad at the moment than have this bad thing have happened to his mom but i wonder if he necessarily is going to go on a bloodthirsty tirade now or if he's still going to try to find the peaceful route and if he will be quick to shed blood when the moment comes again or if he still will be and i don't even want to say hesitant because it makes it seem like it's negative he should be hesitant to shed blood i think that he is a good person and the the things he was telling cersei while they are appropriate for a son in remorse to say to his mother are still not necessarily the correct actions for a leader or a human, you know, so... But they are in terms of Cersei's attitude. Right, they're definitely <laughs> correct actions, and they might be the correct actions for a king, especially a king in a scenario. Maybe they're, quote-unquote, whatever correct means. Maybe not normal, maybe correct insofar as maintaining power. Or well, how, to, maybe, how maybe he goes about it is, is certainly important. For sure, for but sure. the fact that what he's saying is, like, you know, I'm the king, I should be... He's right. He cannot let the faith run the kingdom, which is kind of what's happening. The High Sparrow is kind of running things right now. Not not like directly giving orders, but if you want to, if you were to say who's the most powerful person in King's Landing right now, I think you'd have to say the High Sparrow. Yeah, it's not Tommen. It might it might not be the High Sparrow, but it's definitely not Tommen, and Tommen's the king, and he's really he's like, look, I'm supposed to be the most powerful guy here, and I'm not. What the hell happened? I need to be doing that. Can you help me? He asks his mother for help. He knows yeah. that she's quite capable of that. And another detail comes out talking with Tommen, which I thought was interesting, is and it helps clarify something that we weren't sure about last week. He says, "Did we find who killed Prince Tristane?" Yeah, and he thinks maybe that Cersei did it. <laughs> we yeah, know that yeah. she did not. Yeah, he's do had it. it in his mind. We yeah. know that she had zero to do with that. But he's right that it is the kind of thing she would do. He's like, oh, did you think she would do... Jamie does this, like, she wouldn't do that. He's like, yes, she would. I'm like, yes, she would. <laughs> and I think Jamie knows she would, too. Yeah. He just is... Like, he's got a supporter. He'd be on her side, but yeah, you're right. Like, yeah. He would, yeah, she totally would. But, but he's also right that she didn't do this particular thing. So that's still kind of up in the air what's going to happen as a reaction to that. But <laughs> it's, it's interesting that... People, other people will maybe believe it was her too. Yeah. If Tommen is thinking yeah. it and nobody knows the truth. Especially if that's how the Sand Snakes wanted to set it up. You know, yes. if they make an active effort to, to make it seem that way. And so. it makes so much sense. I mean, Marcella's dead, then Tristane dead. Like, it just fits. Yeah. Like, from a distance, it's like, oh, the, the, the princess was killed and her betrothed was killed too. It must have had something to do with it. You know, like, that just... All just from a distance, anyone hearing about this rumor, it will just it will seem to fit, lacking better detail. So I, I think that's pretty cool, and I'm wondering where they're going to go with that. So what about Jamie's little showdown with the High Sparrow there? What did you think of that scene? I thought that was pretty interesting. It was like, a, it was like kind of like a power butting heads with power there. I think we both knew nothing was going to happen. Nothing was really yeah. going to happen. He wasn't really going to stab him right there. He was trying to intimidate him. And he wasn't really intimidated, was he? he not only was he not intimidated, I feel like at the end, Jamie was intimidated. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. I think he was. 
I think he, he was also intimidated by the fact that he couldn't intimidate the highest spirits. Right, he yeah. was like, I'm going to be which, like alpha with which this Which is guy another thing we keep seeing that, by the way. Uh, we saw Elena approach him. And yeah, he's it just like, doesn't work. Yeah, so I'm, not gonna, I'm not playing that game. I'm playing a different game over here. He just you know? He's like, yeah, I'm afraid of the gods. You know? Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. like, you don't scare me. They do. Oh. And they should scare you. You know, he's, like, he's always just defaults to that. He's like, I'm mm. humble because of them. You know, they're who I'm afraid of. You remind me of a thing I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. He named three gods that he was afraid of. If I remember right, the father, the mother, and the warrior. Yeah. And I, I wanted to think about why did he name those three, and why did he not name the others? Did would he have named them all if he had time? Or yeah. Was there some, I know, just think he didn't. He name definitely them because finished he didn't get on the warrior, right? And uh, I think it was just to get the point across. He's like, he's like, yeah. I am afraid. You know, the names. And Jamie's like, he doesn't need to name them all for Jamie to get the point. Yeah. I don't think it was. I honestly don't think there was anything to that. I think he was just naming them to name okay. just to get the point across. Um, again, because that's just not the kind of that's too subtle. I think for the show, <laughs> for it to be some sort of deeper meaning as to who he uh, left out, like represent who is he? Who is he? Uh, there's supposed to be human beings that represent which characters he named. I, maybe I, uh, yeah, I was I really partly asking so. you what the different gods represent, um, because uh, and, and maybe I'm trying to read too much into it, but I, I just feel like when they're writing a scene, some uh, a person getting paid money to write this show decided. Someone had to choose. Which ones is he going to say? And there might have been a discussion. Should we name all seven? That takes too long. We'll just name three. Well, which three? We'll definitely name the warrior. How about two? Four? Three? The warrior? Who else? Mother? Father? Okay, good enough. You know, but I feel like someone had to decide what what some writer decided which ones for yeah, him maybe to the name, ones that just know? sound the most meaningful. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything to it. I mean, we'll, maybe we'll see more. Maybe later. Jamie and Cersei are the mother and the father, and he clarifies and the warrior. You know, or, mm. I don't know. Anyway. Um, okay, so we get cl- a little bit of interesting clarification that Cersei would not have been allowed in the Sept. The, the Faith was not going to allow her there. And that was why, it was part of why Tom yeah. didn't, yeah. allow, didn't want her to come is because he was afraid of them capturing her, afraid of her embarrassment and not being allowed in. So, yeah. but then he realized that was not how he should have handled it. He's like, no, I should have just been like, no, she's allowed in here. I'm the king. You're the High Sparrow. You can't say the gods don't let her in. That's you saying that. The yeah. gods did not say that. You know, that's the kind of, I think that's the kind of thing he needs to say. He's like, right. no. That, <laughs> they need to start playing his game. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. They're still trying to play their game. He's playing a different one. And he uh, just always acts like the gods is the gods' will. He's like, oh, he's like, well, I want to see my wife. He's like, no, the gods won't. Like, the gods won't allow. The gods don't have nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's you. And I'm not saying let her, let her out. I'm saying I want to see her. Like, I want to talk to her. Like, that yeah. is not like. He should be allowed to talk to her. Like, he's the king. Like, he should definitely be like, I can talk to her if I want to. <laughs> but yeah. the High Sparrow just has, he's just not letting, he's not having it. <laughs> and I thought it was kind of funny that Tommen's like acting all like, I need to do more, I need to do more. And Jamie's like, go talk to your mother. <laughs> the High Sparrow <laughs> walks up and he leaves like all meekly, doesn't confront the guy that he like says he wants to confront, you know, and is like, yeah, you haven't quite learned it yet, kid. <laughs> He, to be fair though, that means he has to confront not only High Sparrow but also his father, Jamie. You know, because mm-hmm. this is Jamie's moment to confront the High Sparrows. So, yeah. Uh, is it one of the little thing I wanted to point out here with these scenes of King's Landing? We see uh, when the mountains returning, he smashes that guy's skull and yeah. it comes up towards Cersei. They make a point. There's like this close-up shot of Cersei. I th- for at first I thought she was sewing. Um, 
And they've mentioned several times about how the, the princesses sew. Sansa made her own dress. And I still kind of feel like, is that something Cersei would do? Maybe when she was growing up, it's what she was supposed to do. She's doing it now. But look at the end. She, she didn't have a needle. She was pulling a thread. She's pulling a thread loose. And I was like, what is that about? Why are they showing us? Is that Cersei's coming unraveled? Is that thread connected That's to something? That's what I got out of it, too. Yeah, you know? it, was, it, was a, it was another one of these cool, subtle, but not important subtle details. This is not like a, oh, you had to notice that to know what's going on kind of thing, but it was like a, yeah, I think that's what it was. Both times she's approached in, the, in, in her scenes, there she's, she's looking at something. She's pulling yeah. the thread, and the one in the next one, she's looking at the coin, the, the yeah. necklace coin that, that was Marcella's, the one that was sent back as a threat, all that. So she's definitely, this is what she's thinking about. And I wonder if, if the garment that she was unraveling, maybe that wasn't one of Marcella's garments potentially, or her own. It was kind of, I thought she was holding something else. So. By the way, she also asked a question uh, when Tommen returned about Marcella. Oh, which dress was she wearing? Was the she red, red or, or the gold? gold? Yeah, and yeah. remember the prophecy is they'd be shrouded in gold. Yep. And, I, and remember when he said gold, she like tossed down the, the little uh, yeah. trinket, you know what I mean? And like, she's like, yeah. Prophecy's coming true, and here's my son. And I've like that. in my mind the whole time this conversation is going on. I'm imagining that Cersei's thinking, oh, "You're dead, son. I'm sorry." Like you know, the whole time she, <laughs> yeah. how can she tell him? What can she do about it? Just you know, I, I feel like all her thoughts are probably clouded by what she feels like is this inevitability of her son is also gonna die. You know? I think that's part of why she wasn't more like fired up about him coming around to her way of thinking. He's like, yeah. mother, I should, you know, can you help me? Can you do that? Can you, like, I need to learn how to be, to have more spine, how to be more vicious, how to like be a lion. And I think she would have been more excited about that if it weren't for that. Like his, yeah. but she's also like, but you're just going to die. <laughs> and so that to me is why, part of why she's just so like, she is going to go off the rails, you know, because she's... She has nothing she's, to lose. She's so intent on that this prophecy is real and that Tommen is doomed. And what else? What can she do about it? Nothing. From her point of view, nothing, I suppose. So maybe just do as much damage as she can. And I thought it was interesting, too, that she was sitting there waiting for the mountain to return... And she kind of saw the blood on him and, and kind of knew, like, I guess, well, he did what he was supposed to do. And then immediately goes to go to try to see Tom. And she was waiting for him. It's like she won't go somewhere without him. And we had that confrontation between the Lannister guards and him. And it was, to me, that was just more set up. They're just showing how dangerous and intimidating how he is. The guards were like... <laughs> they were they were like they, they flinched when he like yes. took put his hand on his sword, and he just looks so spooky and scary. That's just thing that the the you know the books will never be able to make him as scary as. He I mean, looks. even if he had a big <laughs> smiley, jovial, happy, charismatic face, I'd still please don't kill us. <laughs> it's so huge. It's really yeah. So I think it's I'm just excited to see him in in full action, which I can't imagine is too long away, but not quite yet. Just another little tease. Good job there, show. Getting us excited for that. Okay, so what else? Do we have any more for King's Landing? Did you have any other thoughts on King's Landing? Any other thoughts on Marjorie, or not Marjorie, but Tommen, on Jamie, or Cersei, or the High Sparrow? I had sort of an overview thought about uh, a thing that's going on. Um, okay. You know what, maybe? Could we come back to it after a break? Sure, we could do that. All right, we'll take another quick break. And we'll be right back. Yeah, Sean, what are you drinking today? Uh, this is actually a mix of a berry juice, 
uh, one of those naked drinks and a Blue Mountain Dew. It looks like brain material, though. It huh? just looks yeah. like you're drinking <laughs> fuzz or, or you're drinking TV static. Gray matter. Yes. I am drinking ordinary Dr. Pepper in a commemorative Braves John Smoltz cup here that I got from the ballpark. And it's filling me with sugar and caffeine for this next hour, which we are still talking about episode two of Game of Thrones, having a great time. Thanks for sticking with us. There's plenty more to talk about. There's so much in, in every episode. Again, I repeat myself what I said last week. I do not know how people spend only a little bit of time on this. <laughs> Everyone's fandom is theirs to enjoy in the way they enjoy it, but I prefer the deep dives, and I'm glad that there are so many other you out there who feel the same way that like diving deep into the material like we do, because it's a lot more fun when we have people to share it with. All right, so let's move on. Sean, you said you had more thoughts on... Yeah, this is sort of an, an overview thing I've been thinking about, and it, it I, it's kind of coming to my mind as we're talking about Cersei and King's Landing, how things are playing out there, Jamie in a confrontation with the Sparrow. I feel like, generally, a thing that's happening with this show, like if you kind of take a, a step back and look at the, the, the big picture of everything, uh, I feel like, and, I, and this is also kind of coming off the heels of stuff in Dorne, I feel like what's happening is we're seeing the Seven Kingdoms splinter apart. Yes. And every kingdom fractured. So we we saw the North break away, the Iron Islands broke away, Dorne is clearly broken away. I feel like the veil is on the, the edge of breaking away, <laughs> like little fingers, fingers willing to turn, you know. <laughs> and the Riverlands are only there through a, loosely through a marriage and conniving. There, if 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 they. I don't feel like the Riverlands are really part of the kingdom. They're just loyal to the Lannisters at the moment, who are loosely in control of the kingdom at the moment. They're, and they're, and they're uh, smashed to hell anyway. They, they, the right, brunt of the war, right. of the fighting, was there. They're, they're, the, they're, they're beat up pretty badly. All that Gregor's reaving was in that area. Right. Uh, the uh, And the, uh, the Stormlands, I guess, are... I don't even know who's in charge there. I imagine their resources are depleted. All the the leaders of them have all taken all the resources, gone to war, and all lost and died. And so, the kingdom is falling apart. And I sort of expect, in the big picture, you know, Danny will swoop in and reunite everyone. Swoop, you know, literally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, what's going on is we're getting glimpses into the different areas of the kingdom. We see the north. We see the wall. We see the Vale. We see Dorne. We kind of expect we'll see the Iron Islands. We haven't seen, and I don't quite see, how we're going to see Casterly Rock. Except that <laughs> maybe this thought I have, the Lannisters might have to flee King's Landing. Depending on how much more out of control things get, it, it, and it doesn't seem like they're improving, it seems like they're degenerating. Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be neat if the Lannisters were just literally run out of town and had to retreat back to get to... Castle Rock, and then we got to see that part of the kingdom. That would be awesome. And Castle Rock is apparently an impenetrable fortress, never taken by force. So that would set up an interesting scenario of, well, how do you get them out of there if you need to get them out of there? That, I guess, would be a wise way. But I do, that's a great thought. And I hope we see Castle Rock in the show. I think it would be really cool. George R. R. Martin has described it as a lot like the Rock of Gibraltar. You can look that up. Although, in his mind, it's Castle Rock is bigger because in fantasy worlds, you t you, if you bet you base things off reality and then just make them bigger, <laughs> that's almost a direct quote from him. With that same like, uh, make them bigger. 
in their eye. That gleam of, that mischievous glint of, haha, it's fantasy, I can do what I want. <laughs> so I can kill anyone. <laughs> yeah, you sure can. <laughs> so let's, speaking of Lannisters, we can talk about Tyrion now. Let's talk about the dragons and Varys and his little chat there with the others uh, at the council meeting, whatever you want to call it there. The scene itself, Tyrion letting the dragons free, to me it was a little bit like Melisandre's The Resurrection, which was that there was just nothing to it. There wasn't really any trick. It was just, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to show some fortitude. Part of me didn't like it, and part of me did. I'll break it down both ways, and then you can t you can give your thoughts, and maybe maybe you're similar or not. I liked that there wasn't some big fancy trick because I think that would be cheesy. Like I don't want him to just like know some special word or some sort of thing. I thought maybe he was gonna win them over with food, but you know they they weren't eating. So I think letting them free, showing them that he's a friend, that was kind of cool. You know, work with the animals. But I think, and I think in the real world. It does, there is something to be said for animals sensing your feelings. You know, like a dog will growl at someone that's afraid because they can sense that fear, you know. Uh, and people can, animals are very sensitive to that sort of thing. So if Tyrion goes in there and he's brave and he's putting, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm showing my strength, I'm, you know, coming in here, animals will respond to that. I think that, and I can, I can kind of get with that. On the other hand, it was a little easy. <laughs> it was like, he didn't have to really do anything, you know. That he, he, but they at least set it up with saying, dragons are smart. You know, they have, a, you know yep. they have a thing. And on the other hand, if he's saying, well, they haven't eaten in months, well, that makes him a little bit safer, right? He's like, well, they haven't eaten in a long time. Well, they're not just going to eat me. They're not eating, like, this fresh meat thrown in front of them. They don't even want that. Like, that at least says to him, well, they're probably not going to eat me because they haven't eaten anything. So I'm like, okay. So I think, I, so I, I have an overall positive feeling for the scene, even though at first I was like, eh. But I do like it upon reflection, and I'm curious where they're going with it. What about you? I overall uh, did like it. I thought they, I also thought it was good the way they kind of set it up with them being intelligent. Yeah. And I even wonder if maybe they can understand language, you know. Uh, they might not have the proper vocal cords to communicate back, but they can, if they're intelligent, maybe they can learn what At least the tone mean, of voice or something, you know. You know? Uh, and for sure, by the way, in, in the real world, the idea of like animals sensing fear or something like that, it's not really mystical. I used to, be, I used to kind of blow that off, but I realize it's scientific. It's facial expressions, body language, it's subtle things. And it, smells even. Yeah. Like and it's every, for, every yeah, emotion sure, is, hormones, is a brain yeah. chemical and the, like uh, a dog can smell that. But it's something that we do too, that we, without even realizing uh, yeah. the, the subtleties of how our eyebrows and noses and lips and tighten, our ability to read all that is greater than we realize, and it's as great in animals as it is. And there's been a lot of times when animals like, could do some amazing trick, and scientists are suspicious that the owner's manipulating it, and usually they figure out that the animal isn't magical, and the owner's not manipulating it. The animal's just reading some cue that no one could even detect until it was studied on camera in slow motion or whatever. Just some un, some subtle, natural thing someone was doing without actively being tricky. But you just... We give tells when we lie or whatever. You know, they're, they're getting better and better at analyzing that with facial recognition technology that's making mm -hmm. Snapchats. That can also be used to film people in interrogations. And, oh, he's lying. They can just know it. You just know? like the way your eyes move, like whether they go up or to the left, up or to the right, down to the yeah. left, down to the left. That can tell you that there's a mechanical 
explanation for why the way your eyes move when you're thinking and it is because of which part of your brain you're accessing yeah. it's something i learned from being a poker player a long time you there's these these tells you can that's why people at a poker table that's what some people will just ask a, a, a silly question that they know the answer to it's not that they don't know the answer it's they want to see how the answer is like where do their eyes move when they're answering this question where do their arm move all these things they just want they're trying to get a reaction any sort of data is data and then animals are very keyed into that and i think that's yeah. pretty cool they hide into that. Also, like along the lines we were saying, human facial expressions do not differ culture to culture. They are universal. Disgust, surprise, happiness, joy. Doesn't matter whether you were born in the Amazon rainforest. Doesn't matter you whether you were born in what used to be the Middle East thousands of years ago in the Tigris and Euphrates. Facial expressions are the same. Humanity is, uh, is, does not have variations there. It's very interesting. And that's one of the ways probably ancient cultures used to communicate with that language in the first, like how they first yeah. started. How they, like, how they, you know, like, well, eventually they learn each other's languages, but that's how you first start is by these, the universality. Oh, I think he's mad and he's going to attack me. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can read that. <laughs> like, come, like, he wants us to come with him. Yeah. <laughs> like in Stargate, like he wants us to come with him see <laughs> anyway so that's our dragon um tangent there how that yeah. applies to dragon facial expressions dragons can read human facial expressions yeah. Apparently, that's what we've been leading up to here <laughs> uh yeah i i thought it was good i thought it was i thought they did a pretty good job with the cgi too like hearing walking it seemed like it placed his hand on it like i i believed yeah. it if you will you know it looked good and uh and there was a story he was telling during it about how he wanted to be wanted to dragon when he was a kid what did you think of that yeah, I, that was good i think it, that's I th again i thought that was a neat way to get this story this imagery this development at the same time as uh, you know the the imagery of the dragons and the the, the bond forming with Tyrion or whatever and uh, this understanding of the dragons and, and him telling the story about how they don't do well in captivity that had already been set up in the past about how dragons got smaller over time mm -hmm. and it was almost like this mystery but Tyrion's not a mystery you just have to study it um, and uh, it was good I, I, I liked it quite a bit I will say I didn't think of something you said in my mind I thought it was extra dangerous they're hungry. They're going to gobble you up, little Tyrion. What are you doing? Like, yeah. uh, but it occurred to me they're just not eating. You know, yeah. I guess. Uh, and, and I even thought, too, that it might be, because this is true of uh, other animals in nature, mm -hmm. they're bound by the amount of space that they have. You know, this isn't some weird magical dragon thing. Catfish in the Mississippi River, they, they can be like 15 feet long and like 200 pounds. They get massive. They're, they're only there's not a theoretical limit to how big they can get. It's just how much space and food that they have. Um, Let them keep so, eating; they'll keep growing. Yeah. Right, and so since they're locked in there, maybe they naturally don't eat, so they don't outgrow the space that they have. Might be an instinctual um, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And also, I think that there is a little something to be said for just depression. Animals can be depressed because they're they're owner has left everyone's yeah. most not everyone but a lot of i'm sure a lot of you out there know what happens to a dog whose owner goes away for a long time that dog gets real sad doesn't behave like it used to doesn't eat the way it used to and that's also if you lock it up in a abandoned. dark room and chain it up it's not exactly happy and thriving in that scenario yeah either. it all very it makes a lot of sense i like yeah i like it the more i i i had a eh, meh reaction to the scene at first but i really upon reflection i like it a lot more Although I st I'm not not without a few criticisms of it, but I do. Yeah, I thought it was very good. One thing it did get me thinking and wondering about, though, is can can they get out of that room? Can they <laughs> yeah. that door. I, I tried. I like pause it at the doorway with Tyrion and Varys, and I pause it when they, a couple good shots. Once he enchained him, you saw like their 
shoulders hulk, you know, and I was trying to decide to compare the imagery. Of they the were much smaller when they there. went in. They were tiny yeah. when they went in there. Uh, I, I'm sure <laughs> they'll find a way out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah know, they're not going to be stuck in there forever. <laughs> But, uh, but I wonder if they may have it, to yeah. like demolish part of the wall or something. I don't know how it's going to work. Now, I think the reason the Sons of the Harpy haven't worried about the dragons at all is because they know that they have no control over them. They know that, like, well, these, they're not being unleashed as a weapon against us. So what do we care? They're not going to, like, Mother Dragons has no control over her dragons, so we don't, we're not worried about them. But maybe now that changes because they, maybe they're now they're trying to get control of them and maybe they're having success with that. I just thought of another parallel. What's that? Remember how uh, Ramsey walks into those dogs and they're all barking, barking, and he's like, whoop. And you're like, whoop, they get quiet. <laughs> and you're like, attack, and they're all attack. And like, yeah. we kind of see the potential. Like, if someone does have control of those dragons, like, they, watch they out. Can... Yeah. And it looks like they're kind of setting Tyrion up to be that person, if not to be, you know, one of the riders of one of the dragons. I feel like they were setting that up. They've been setting that up for a while. Season one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting closer to that now. The anticipation is building. Um, I think it's going to happen, but the how and the when, that's still very up in the air. You know, by the way, Tyrion also had some liquid courage in him when he went to think of the other dragons. <laughs> you know, actually, I meant to mention that. The liquid courage, that's, that's an important part. I think also the way he was telling the story was part of his courage. He's talking about how he always wanted to have a dragon as a kid. And that was kind of making him think of how much he loved dragons. And he's trying to try to re recapture how he felt about dragons yeah. as a child to help with his own fear. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of just psyching himself up a little bit. He's like, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I, liked, I love dragons. I've always loved dragons. <laughs> Just tell myself that, and I'll be fine. <laughs> and then he's like, if I ever have an idea like that, punch me in the face. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Another little subtlety there that was maybe lost in the shuffle of all that, because it comes before that scene when they're talking about the dragons, is how the slavers have recaptured Yunkai, they have yeah. Astapor. Hey, Varus says basically everywhere in Slaver's Bay except Marine is back to being what it was. It's just all gone back. It's all backslid to, to where it was, which just goes to show how hard it is to just shake things up. Danny had, you know, hearts in the right place, but these institutions and these people, this culture has had been doing things this way for so long. You cannot just change people by intimidating them into change that doesn't really work because they still believe what they believe they still think what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and what they think is right and wrong is very different than what Danny thinks is right and wrong as powerful and widespread as uh Genghis Khan was he didn't his empire didn't last as long as the Romans it's true all right so let's go on to another section let's talk about Arya I think there's Arya's still kind of being set up, her eventual full arc. We just don't know what's happening. You know, she's going to go back to Westeros at some point, but why? Is she going to be sent to kill somebody? Is she going to escape? Is she going to decide she doesn't want to be with the Faceless Men anymore? It's, it's hard to say. By the way, I'm wearing my Faceless Men Valar Morgullis shirt right here. Bravos, very cool. And, and Sean here. No, that does not say Snugglers. That says Smugglers. Sean's got a shirt here with Mal from Firefly. Han Solo in the middle, being the, you know, captain of Smugglers. And Davos on the other side there. That's right. I got, got all yeah, well prepared there. Pretty sweet shirt. Davos is proud to be in that pantheon of, of popular Smugglers. Actually, Mal is really the one that's probably the... It's funny how he's the so well-known, despite being the, like, that character has done the least. And Had the least airtime, yeah. 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 <laughs> but he is a Smuggler. He's a very good one. Anyway, so let's talk about Arya. She's looks like she's getting a little bit more trained. She's still suffering out there in the streets until the until Jaken brings her back in. I, I like the scene. I like the, it's it's pretty. Not a lot happened. It's pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. Kind of expected in a lot of ways. But 
acting was good. I like the intensity, the shaking of her voice. She just, just refuses to give in. You get that Arya stubbornness that I really appreciate. The the wolf child that doesn't give in. He's trying to get her to like you know tell me your name and I'll uh, you know you can have uh, something to eat tonight. You know, the girl has no name. She's really fighting it. She's like, oh, no, I I do not give in. And I like I like that. That's the something we all like about Arya. I think is that that deep stubbornness, that that wolf stubbornness. It's a lot like uh, her father's stubbornness, but but applied in different areas. Yeah, I, I'm. I can't decide what to think about it because I still have this idea that the more she falls in line with what she's supposed to be doing with Jake and a faceless faceless man, the less likely she is to come back and be part of the main story. I don't see how it can go, and I can't help but wonder if she's just saying what he wants to hear. You know. She, she doesn't really care about having a roof or even getting her eyes back. But I can't help but wonder if she does still care about killing Cersei. I think she's still <laughs> just saying what she needs yeah. to say to get her revenge. Whether I get, have my eyes or not, that's okay as long as I can kill Cersei. You know? uh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe she's not driven by revenge, but I, I think she is. And I can't. And I almost said, and I hope she is. But when I say that, I, the fact is, I hope she's not. I don't want her to be driven by wrench, but I do want her to be Arya. I don't <laughs> want her to be a girl. I want yeah. her to be Arya. Yeah, I don't so, want to be no one. Yeah. I don't know what uh, what I'm rooting for here. I don't know what I want to happen, much less what I expect to happen. Yeah, it's 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 definitely it remains the plot line where the future of it is the haziest. I think as yeah. much as like. So many other things are hazy, but you at least have some idea where they're going to, like, with the Night's Watch, well, they're going to come into conflict with the White Walkers, big time. You know, it's been slowly building up. How, when, who's still going to be around when that happens? What's going to be the means of them fighting? Whether the Wildlings are part of it or not? You know, all that is up in the air. But basically, we know where that's going with Ariel, exactly. Like, where, you know, who is she going to, where is she going to, why is she, you know, all these, it's, that's also, we have vague guesses, but they're pretty vague. Another thing about it that makes it tougher to, to... Uh, account for if you will when john goes to the wall he sort of has a mission on the way there yeah and the wall has its own sort of mission right and and most of the people and the groups that they're a part of on some level have motivations that we know and uh, maybe understand or care about or whatever we can follow we can we think about where they've come from where they're going what they're trying to do what their obstacles are going to be so on and so on not just the people but the the groups that the people are part of, right? We know what the King's Guard's trying to do. We know, you know, on and on. What are the Faceless Men trying to do? You know, like, uh... They're supposed to be, I mean, as a religion, they're not, you know, it's not like they have a goal. They're not, like, spreading their religion either. You know, it's it's different. It's more, it is more of a cult. The faith seems to have... one that tries to spread. ...a mission of sorts, at least at the moment. They're trying to get people to be more pious and more humble and less... Vain Follow or the greedy, or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly, and and uh, what their end goal is, maybe just for people to be good or something like that, you know. Um, but uh, what is uh, the House of Black and White? The House of Black and White. Yeah. What know? is, what is like, there? Yeah, what again, whatever the Lord of Light is trying to do, or whatever that religion is trying to do, maybe is kind of vague, or uh, we haven't learned that much about. But we know Melisandre, what she's trying to do. She's trying to get Stannis to be the one true king, and now she's kind of questioning that, and it makes it harder to predict what's going on there. But I don't even have a, a, an overarching or momentary idea of what the House of Black and White are about in the first yeah, place. Yeah, I think maybe we'll find more about that. Maybe that, maybe finding that out. Maybe that it will be important. Maybe she, when she finds yeah. out more, she gets deeper into the inner circle and finds out what they're all about. Maybe that drives a wedge between her final acceptance of mm-hmm. who she is. 
or it seals the deal. One, you know, one way or the other, that could be it. I'm, or maybe, I'm po- totally just guessing. That. Or maybe makes a connection to something else in the rest of the, the world. Yeah, you know? something that brings her into the back into the storyline with everybody else. We'll just have to wait and see. It's still up in the air. But she is finally discussed outside of her cell, her own plot line, briefly brought up with Brienne and Sansa and Theon around. Sansa is talking to Brienne about her, that she says, oh, I did see her. She was in the Riverland. She disappeared, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That gives Sansa confidence or at least hope that she's alive and out there. Interestingly, though, why doesn't Brienne mention that she was with the Hound? She knew who she uh. was. I can. Yeah. I think maybe it's because she didn't want to scare Sansa. She's like, oh, if I tell her she was with the Hound, that's not gonna. She's gonna make her feel even more scared. And maybe that's why she didn't tell. Her. I, I buy that. I can see. Yeah. Like, I don't. You know, some people think, oh, she was a cont- another continuity error. I don't think so. I think it makes sense that she just wouldn't say it. But maybe do you have another idea. I, I had two thoughts on it. One was that she might have been like concerned because remember, Sansa even threw it in her face. She's like, I saw you at the wedding. I saw you celebrating Joffrey. Like, da da da. You know. Um, so she might have been a little worried about, you know, upsetting Sansa or bringing question of the loyalty or uh, maybe having to explain it all. We'll explain it on the road later on. We don't need to do it in this scene right now. <laughs> you know, uh, the, uh, but also I thought it might have been, I don't know if continuity is quite the right word, but on some level I feel like showmakers do and maybe should account for new viewers mm. there's got to be some people out there like even if only one percent of viewers decided to start watching this season and didn't watch all the rest well that's still thousands and thousands and thousands of people i, I don't know the numbers but i want to say maybe hundreds of thousands of people who might not know who that character is so if she says that name it might just be confusing for them so she it's uh, partly maybe mm. brian's character to sansa partly maybe show writers to an audience they didn't want to bring It's that possible. Up. I think the Hound was a big enough character that they wouldn't confuse anybody. But, yeah, I mean, that's possible. And, of course, we get more clarification. Sansa does say uh, she's, that she wants to go to the Wall and see Jon. And that seems to be on track, or at least for now. Maybe that will change. Theon is going to go off on his own and go home in the name of the episode. What is waiting for him at home? We'll talk about that in a minute. We're talking about the Iron Islands. But... What do you expect? This is there wasn't much to, to get out of the scene in terms of what's happening for these characters. It's just a matter of them. Now they're breaking apart, going their separate directions, and that's when their real arc for the season will begin. Sansa for now is out of Ramsey's clutches. So is Theon, maybe. Maybe he'll get recaptured. But I, I, I kinda am guessing that, that would I it feels like to progress his arc he has to stay uncaptured. So assuming he stays uncaptured and goes back to the Iron Islands be a good segue to talk about the Iron Islands, but we'll stay here for now. What do you think is going to be, what's going to happen if Theon goes back there? Assuming he makes it, I think he will make it. I think he probably just doesn't get killed on the way. (laughs) I think one thing, this is the main thought that I had, because what will happen depends a lot about, depends a lot on the other things that are happening there and how that plays out, right? Yeah. Um, So without dipping too much into that, this is the thought that I was having, um, is that I think he'll be I mean, this is almost like an obvious statement. I think he'll be a different person when he goes back. <laughs> and I don't mean to say it so clichéishly, but what I mean is last time when he went back, he was kind of bold and cocky, like, hey, the prodigal son returns. Come on, bitches, get on your knees. I'm here now. Let's go. And everyone's like, who the hell are you, kid? Shut up, sit down, do what you're told. You know, like, no no one cared that he was there. And it was kind of like... Yeah, he forgot I, how it was. I want to say it was a humbling experience for him, but it wasn't, even though maybe it should have been. Just made him peevish, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And 
and I also feel like, on the other hand, I feel like they were wrong to treat him that way. You know what I mean? I feel like uh, he, not that he necessarily should have gotten this hero's welcome to come back, but I also think that he should have recognized by not even getting a, a warm welcome from his father. Maybe not the hero's welcome that he was too arrogant, so arrogant to expect, but it was so the opposite that he might should realize that this isn't the place for me. I should, I, like I think most people feel like he should have gone back to Rob and not betrayed him. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but now when he goes back, it's partly, you know, there's a quote. I, th- I wish I could remember who this was. I think it's from a Death of a Salesman, but home is where when you have to go, they have to take you. <laughs> it's a, a, a quote that has okay. stuck with me for some reason. Um, and I feel like that's why Theon's going back home now. So he, he can't really go anywhere else. And it's also, I also appreciated that moment. I like that line because that's a thought I had several times. Even if, you know, like, oh, I didn't really kill Bran and Rickon. I killed two other little boys and chopped <laughs> off the people's heads. I like killed I, Sir Roderick. Even yeah, if he, just... Right. It still did so many terrible things that I even made an effort to defend. Like, this standard fare for conquering, you know what I mean? Like, this is some crazy thing Theon did. Every freaking person that conquered anyone always chopped, like, it's not like some unbelievable, it's it's a little worse or more unbelievable or frustrating or whatever for Theon to have done this because he grew up there and he had more of a connection. He wasn't some foreign invader swooping in out of nowhere with no attachment, just kill these people. They were people he had grown up with and were friends and so on and so on. So... Uh, it's worse for him to do that, but uh, I'm rambling a little. Sorry. My point <laughs> is that uh, when he goes home now, I I I, almost, I don't expect him to like announce himself and expect people to follow the knees. I think he's just gonna humbly present himself. I don't think he has any expectation of being in the air. I don't think he's gonna ruffle any feathers. I don't I don't necessarily even think he's gonna have some desire to like charge into battle for revenge. Like who knows how much more he'll turn around. But I almost feel like he'll. Be a meister or something. Uh, uh, in fact, by the way, do the... He can't be a meister, but... I don't want to... I, I, maybe I should wait before we get too far into it, but uh, are the maesters... Uh, does the Iron Islands have one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think they presented one yet that I've noticed. There's one character I thought might be one, but he seemed maybe like more of a priest or something. Um And they did seem to... At one point... Like, we see little differences in the kingdoms, right? Mm-hmm. In Dorne there's sexuality is more open and women can even rule right mm-hmm. and uh in the iron islands here we got that little line that made it seem like it there's potential for a woman to rule that it's not necessarily oldest son inheriting right that that was kind of the law we, we, okay the, i'll explain that yeah. real quickly because okay here's okay. what's what happens there is that it's what seems to be the case is that asha expected to inherit and she was neglecting to, or at least being overly hopeful that they were going to stick to the rules that the Seven Kingdoms use. But the Iron Islands is independent now, and they are not bound to those laws, and they don't want to follow those laws. That's not the laws that they used to follow. And they're acting, although to be fair, they have followed those laws. I think what's happening is I'm, I'm basing a little of this off of what I know from the books, and it seems like they've adapted it, but changed it somewhat. This whole Kingsmoot thing that he mentions, which mm-hmm. is when they pick who the next king is going to be. That, in the books, that's a really, really old tradition that was ended by a guy who, when everybody gathered for the king's move, he just had everyone killed. (laughs) (laughs) And so he was king that way. And then there wasn't another king's move for thousands of years. And then he just passed it down to his descendants. So it's presented a little differently. It seems like in the show here they're saying... Well, this is how it works because Balon has reestablished our old way of doing things. And that's the law that we're doing. And that's why Asher was a little surprised and why he's like, well, maybe they'll pick you. 
you'd be the first woman ever chosen. So, you know, he's basically saying it probably won't happen. Yeah. But he's saying it's possible. So, but he's, it's got to be a vote, you know. And so I guess that's what Euron is doing. He's there to show up and, you know, he knows that's going to be the way it's, it's done. And he knows that he's this powerful, crazy kind of been all over the world kind of guy that they, he, you know, he's, I guess he's expecting that they'll follow him. I wonder how much she wants to take over versus she's just being a good trooper and assumed that she would and is trying to impress her father and her people. Oh, I, I think she's she particularly to. ambitious. Or if, when this new guy comes along, she'll serve him as, as much as she would serve any great leader. I know? think that she wants to be the leader, and she specifically that's why she was the way she was with Theon is because he thought he was going to come in there and be the leader because he's the son. But she's like, nah, Balon trusts me. Our father trusts me more. I'm the one who's been here. I'm the one who's lived with him the whole time. I'm the one who's learned how to do all these things. I'm the Ironborn here. And I think that was, you know, that was back in season three or season two, whenever that was. So it's kind of easy to forget all that. But Well, I, I remember that, and I see what you're saying, but I, I there's an, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but I was considering another way to look at it. It might not have so much been like, I'm the one, I'm the one, as... You're not the one. You well, then who else? Would, it. You haven't who been Who else here would it be there? Like that's on, what right. she says to the priest. She says, "Well, like when I'm, you know, I swear on the throne. It's, it's only when she he corrects her. Like you can't swear yeah. on the throne." And she was a little stunned by that. I wonder if the priest knows that your own is there. He probably doesn't, yeah. but he might. Yeah, he might. You're right. He might know. That's interesting. But in any case, I do think she expected <laughs> it, and I don't know how ambitious she is, but she definitely thinks it's her right. Yeah, and that's enough in my mind. To, like that's what make you. Yeah. That's that's basically what Stannis says. You know, or yeah. said he's like, well, it's not about it's not about what I want. It's about the law. I am, you know, <laughs> the kick the rightful king. So that's that. You know, there's no two ways about it. I think Asha's attitude is a little similar. She's not Stannis, but you know, she thinks, hey, I'm that's Balon was gonna pick me. Like what else? What else could there be? And and yeah. of course, in her mind, she doesn't know Euron's back. So who else could it be? Like, yeah. It's, there's no yeah. great. She's expecting it to. There's no other Greyjoy around. Blah blah blah. So, what did you think about Euron's introduction? Uh, I thought it was interesting. I think that it's. Uh... Uh, in some ways, it was a little frustrating because I don't know this character. The presenter would be kind of a badass, but I, I, just, I can't remember if they said his name. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I guess they might him. not have, but yeah. it's your, it's your on Greyjoy, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I want to know a little more who he is and what it's about, what's going on here, and and maybe it's a little frustrating because uh, I don't know if frustrating is the right word. I, I, I don't mean to be negative because I liked it. I liked it. Uh, uh, in fact, there was one thing that I particularly liked that I thought was, was maybe a little subtle. Uh, but I really liked that they're on this bridge and it kind of swayed a little. And Balon's kind of like holding on. And the other guy's standing there. And Balon realizes it. Because they're supposed to have sea legs. They're supposed to be men of the sea. There, you know what I mean? And he can't be like, oh, and he just And he balance. just talked to him. And, I was like, what kind of ironborn yeah. you know, reacts to it? You know, like, can't handle himself in a storm. And he's like, and here, here he is. Like, hey, on. So who, then you're like, let's go. Himself. Steadies himself. Let's go with his other hand. And you're like, don't question me. Little man. Yeah, see, that's the kind uh, of subtlety they just show does. That's yeah. the kind of, like, it's not like, if you don't notice it, you don't catch something really important. It's just, it adds to the thing. Yeah. It's not the main thing. It's the, it's the added. It's yeah. the, it, it, Which it I've helps. said this many things about yeah. good shows. Like, when you first watch on the surface, there are these, uh, and again, I don't mean for this to necessarily sound negative, but superficial things. Like, faces and the names of the main characters, the, the plot points, what's going on with the story. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff going on in the background. And I think you're right that 
you're not going to miss a main plot point because they're subtle about it. But you might miss a bit of character development or, you know, yeah. synergy or detail. detail Because there's there even the superficial stuff is so impressive and overwhelming and full. Yeah, there's that, a big storm. The castle yeah. looks really sweet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to take in. Yeah. But when you watch it a second or third time and you've already gotten the superficial plot points, character names, then you start to see the brooch on the cloak and the banner in the background and the facial expression and the et cetera, et cetera, that yeah. adds more richness and fullness. And uh, I'm going to, I don't know, but I, I think it makes it easier to buy into the world, to believe and care about the characters and their emotions and their plights and everything else. So, so as I said at the beginning, it seems like the Dorn plot in season or in episode one kind of is like the the presence of the ironborn plot here in episode two where everything else is all of these main plot lines that we've been following for a while and we get this little kind of ancillary situation that apparently is going to become important now i can see why you can see Dorne seems to be kind of being pushed to the side whereas Aaron is kind of brought forward a bit even though what's happening is kind of similar you've got some internal faction that you Hadn't, don't know a lot about that's coming even less in this case from the comparing the Iron Islands to Dorne that's kind of taking over so it seems like that's going to be important and one of the things that seems to matter is that they're a sea power we, they talked back in Danny's arc about how they don't have ships putting two, to, two and two together you have this new plot line sort of being reintroduced and they they have ships and how Asha even says no one can beat us on, land, on sea it's land we have trouble with like, well, is that where things are heading? Do you think this is, there's going to be some sort of Greyjoy? I mean, of course, Euron having a romantic deal with Daenerys seems kind of a stretch because she's not, like, attracted to... I mean, she's attracted to bad boy types, I guess. Like, she, she eventually kind of fell for Khal Drogo, even though he was, you know, murdering warlord barbarian type. As I don't Dario. see that. Yeah, as, I yeah. don't see that happening with... Someone else. It could happen with someone else. This guy is a possibility. Again, I'm just I'm just guessing. You know, this isn't something I know from the books already or something. I'm not like trying to suggest something that I already know. I don't. So, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think that's got to be a connection point. But I don't I know. Like, but the how again? The how? Yeah. The why? The where? Like exactly how it's going to come? I feel out, like no there's idea. not enough time for Danny to develop much of a relationship with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. A. Uh, B. It doesn't seem like. He's the type that would develop a relationship with her. C, it doesn't seem like he's the type to bow to her, right? It doesn't seem like he would like, oh, some chick's flying into being controlled the Seven Kingdoms. I guess we'll join back up now. <laughs> you know what? Go ahead and use my boats. I, I mean, I, there's, none of that makes sense. I think part of me thinks it's more likely that he'll be part of, like, fighting her off, that his fleet will be fighting her off, except that... She doesn't have a fleet to come in with now. Like you know what I mean? I, if if her fleet hadn't just been burned, I can imagine that as her fleet sailed in, his fleet might try to fight her off. But she doesn't even have a fleet, so it does kind of make sense to match up to get their fleet. But it doesn't. It doesn't make sense because I, I can't see on any level how they're actually motivated to work with each other. So maybe That's some other we'll big change is coming, yeah. but uh, mm -hmm. I don't see it right now. All right, the Boltons. Things really got serious there. Things really got heavy. I think we sort of predicted this. We talked about how there was infighting pretty much everywhere, and there was not infighting with the Boltons yet, but there was such a big, obvious reason why they might fight and how it was being set up. Ramsey was clearly worried about the birth of this child. It's clearly mattered to him. It clearly was going to impact him. So 
It happened. Yeah, we no longer have, we have yet another older leader, older ruler killed off by his own family. It's been happening a lot lately. <laughs> and that seems to be the last domino to fall. Ramsey's sort of got it all under control now. Not necessarily under control, but he's got it. He thinks he's got it all yeah. under control. He talks about the conversation they have just before he's killed, before Roos is killed, is they talk about how the North is and the situation in the North, the politics in the North. And he throws out, Ramsey throws out some names, Umber, Manderly, Karstark, saying that they're the ones that have the most power, the most soldiers. If he gets those theory on their side, no one else is going to stand up against them because they just couldn't possibly handle it. And the car Stark is sitting right there. That car Stark guy is clearly in on it. Wasn't surprised at all by yeah, yeah. Ramsey killing Roos. So you want to kind of want to talk. It's like, well, hey, if my if a son is born, you know, I'm going to be doing this. You know, be on my side. If it's a daughter, I'm not worried. I got, you got you got to feel like this was going to happen anyway. Like eventually, yeah, Ramsey was because yeah. it didn't seem like it seems like Ramsey and this car Stark character Harold. coordinating. Harold car Stark. Harold. All right. Yeah. Um, they, they have some idea, some ambition, some plan they're kind of working on. And Roos isn't on board with it. So, son or no son, you know, maybe they wouldn't have done it at that moment. And maybe Roos would have got on board with it eventually, but... Yeah. <clears throat> well, interestingly there, I, I Maybe thought... Roos would have ended up killing Ramsey eventually. It's, po- it's very possible. That's what I thought. When That mm-hmm. moment, I almost feel like they did that by design, make it unclear which person's doing the... Yeah. If it weren't for the trailers having more scenes of Ramsey later, I would have been confused by that too. But I knew yeah. that Ramsey wasn't dying in that scene. Uh, so, because of the trailers. so Maybe he dies and Melisandre brings it back. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, what are you doing, Melisandre? He's like, oh, look at that. I'm just, just going buck wild with the resurrection. He's like, oh, you, you, bring everybody back. Hey, kill him. I'll bring you back. back. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she's just a little drunk with power. <laughs> if no one's seen a Saturday Night Live skit with Melisandre at the baby shower, by the way, everyone should, that was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommended. So... He seems to have a plan. He seems to have the idea that he could, he's got these main houses in line. What's interesting, though, is is the the this is something very sneaky. The Car Stark man says the last surviving son of 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 John Sno- of of Ned Stark, John Snow. Ramsey knows that Bran and Rickon are alive, so he yeah. didn't tell his new yeah. uh, his new ally the truth about who's really out there. And of course, why would he? He doesn't want anyone to know. He doesn't want his potential allies to worry about that problem. He's like. Just come on, join with me. Once they've joined, once they've been with him for a while, it might be too late for them to turn. So he, he just got to keep that. He's just got to keep that quiet for long enough for things to kind of be developed and people to reach the point of no turning back. I thought that was interesting. Like, no, he, he that's still a secret. Uh, Bruce Bolton knew, clearly. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. He's, I guess not, he's not more telling more anybody now. to kill him, yeah. Yeah. I don't think, say, that Maester knows. But that's, by the way, another interesting thing. The, the Sand Snakes, for some reason, felt the need to kill the Maester. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and and you know Ramsey's like no no this yeah. racer serves me now and that makes him didn't feel the need to run away all of a sudden either he, he just, just stood there, there and like what's next you know well, this is how things go in, at the, uh-huh. uh, with the Boltons isn't it <laughs> he's like these guys are nasty aren't they I mean it's not like he's sorry to see Roos go he's probably like because Roos isn't exactly a great guy. It still might be a lesser two evils. Exactly. Have Roos I think he'd rather have yeah. Roos than Ramsey. He's like, oh shit. Ramsey's more unpredictable. <laughs> Roos might be ruthless and we'll even say straight up evil, but he he's lawful evil. Roos is lawful evil. <laughs> Ramsey is chaotic evil. Yeah, he's. Uh, did you say ruthless? Yeah, they're all ruthless now. The show is ruthless now. No more. Ru- he's. He, what was it? Bruce Lorton? Loose Borton. Bruce. 
Blorton. Yeah, there's all these great different versions of his name. We don't get to play with it anymore. Sorry, I know a lot of, a lot of people yeah, out there really liked Bruce Bolton. <laughs> Too soon. I'm sorry, yeah. folks. I know you're all very <laughs> sentimental about the death of One of my of friends Bruce. really did like his character. He really thought that he was one of the more, I'm going to say, strategic, intelligent, you know. Much he like was Tomlin. so like, good at flaying. I mean, <laughs> the best flayer. Of, he's the best flayer like, of the Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, I, I'm mostly playing devil's advocate here. But in this, the, the fact is, Tywin was ruthless, evil, you know, but still he had this sort of charisma. He had this sort of, like, power and his presence and his confidence and this coordination and foresight that you, you couldn't help but kind of... You had some respect. If not root for him, respect mm-hmm. for him, want him on screen. And uh, and yeah. one of my friends is, who, who likes the show a lot, likes it a lot because he feels that way about Roos. He thinks Roos is like this player who's making these key decisions and uh, evil, ruthless things he might have done well, everyone else is doing evil, ruthless things. Roos is being smart. He's moved into power. How long have the Starks been in charge? Thousands of years. Not anymore. He's the one that did it, you know. And uh, all the hotheads are taking over. You got yeah. you got the crazy tongue cutting, brother killing, Ironborn in charge. Potentially, you've got the murderous Sand Snakes out for vengeance in in Dorne. You've got all kinds of stuff going on in the North instead of the cold, calculating flare. You've got the, you know, angry, something to prove flair in the north, and you've got the wildlings, you've got the, you know, at least Alistair Thorne is out of play for now, and yeah, you just got, it's just all, all the wrong people are in charge. <laughs> for distance, though, yeah. Alistair Thorne's out of the way, instead, Tormon's in charge. No, no, a zombie's in charge. Okay, the wall's pretty crazy, too, right now. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so let us do some quick credit talk here and wrap up, and then we will move on to talk about the trailer for next week and some expectations that we have. Do you have something else okay, first? Yeah, I want to mention, I had a couple notes. Let me look at my notes real quick. All right, a couple so things a couple I want to make sure I hit there. A little premature there on my uh, part. No, we do. I might have already hit all these things anyway. Uh, let's see. I wanted to ask that, so it was, about the Maesters. I wanted to ask about the Maesters. Sure. Um... One, I said, there's something I'm trying to uh, get clear in my mind. And maybe it's kind of vague in this world. Do maesters serve... Did, did Maester Lewin serve the Starks, or did he serve Winterfell? He served Winterfell. Well, now, okay, again, I'm taking show... This is book canon, because right? it's not explained in the show, so I have to just assume it's the same. It might not be, but that is what I'm working with, yeah. because that they serve the castle. They do not serve now, the lord. In, in, the, in that case... It might be the same. It might be one and the same, right? Because the Starks have been in Winterfell for so long. Right. But uh, but it's, it's something I sort of want to clarify. And and part of why it came to my mind is because the Meister, the Maester uh, that we see, I don't think we've got a name for him either, but the one interacting with the Boltons there. I, I think that uh, it's clear he is the Boltons' Maester because he mentioned, Ramsay said something about him being scared of him even when he was a boy, right? Right, yes. So they must have brought their Maester with them to Winterfell. Right, because there which, wasn't one there. Right, which I, I guess Lewin is okay, dead. but it does, but it made me wonder, so are the Maesters serving Winterfell or or either the house or the They estate. would send another one out, but there's no one, you know, there isn't a house established at right. Winterfell. So and so maybe they area. can send a new one to the Bolton estate. And someone would have to be switched out. Might as well keep the one with the yeah. house that was there or whatever. Um, but uh, it makes me want to ask another question. A, what, or maybe a series of questions. What was the name of the Bolton estate? What's their castle? The Dreadfort. The Dreadfort, yes, okay. 
Who's in charge of Driftmore now? They just left the Castellan in charge, presumably. Okay. Um, I, that's it, what that's what a lord always does when yeah. they leave. Just like Roderick was in charge when they left. Yeah. But I, I, I'm more wondering, three generations from now, who's in charge of the Dreadfort? You know what I mean? Like, who inherits it? Who, who, it would will be, be given Ram, out it to would some be of children. Oh, well, see, that's another gray area, because normally the king wouldn't allow someone to control two powerful castles like that. But they're an independent kingdom now. So there is no rule. Yeah. There is no rules. There, there, there isn't an answer to this question. Okay. Because they get right. Ramsey is now, if he, if he establishes himself, he will decide. Traditionally, it will be the eldest son. Like, there's no reason to think it won't just be the, his eldest son. If he dies without an heir, well, it would be chaos because then there wouldn't be an obvious answer. And then someone would. Then there would be fighting. That's always the answer. When there's an unclear heir, the answer is war. Yeah. <laughs> when there's a clear heir, then that's the answer. But there is. I mean, Ramsey has no heirs. So right now, it's nobody. There is no Bolton. There's no living Bolton to take over. And you know, there are Starks, as we know, but nobody really knows that. So there isn't a good answer. There, we can't. You know, there, there just isn't. I wonder how ripe a target the Dreadfort is. I wonder if if the Greyjoys decide we'll attack the Dreadfort. You know. Not ripe at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in season, you know, in early, whatever, season three, when Asha actually went there and got inside, that was one thing. That was a commando raid. Yeah, they weren't taking over the whole fortress. Right. Yeah. That was, and that was, but at that time, and it was silly. But at that time, all their, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at that time, all their forces were there to drive for. Now they're spread, now they're up in Winterfell. Yeah, but this how is, much a, but this is a left castle. Yeah. This is a big castle. True. They're not going to, yeah, no. Winterfell's a big castle. Yeah. Theon took Winterfell. But Theon snuck in. Knowing he knew the castle, he knew the castle. He knew the place. And he it was lived truly there. minimal force. Truly minimal. They drew there. out even. They even drew out yeah. the garrison. The Starks' forces it's, were more run thin than the Bolton forces. By far, yeah. by far. Bolton's forces are not run thin at all. So yeah, so I don't think that's a problem. And besides that, I really doubt the Dreadfort is ever going to play a role in the show. I, I kind of because Winterfell is the seat of the North, and that's what Ramsay wants to establish himself as. He, yeah. He's not going to rule the North from the Dreadfort. He's going to rule it from the window. I wonder if it's a tool he could use. Like, hey, uh, Umbers, I'll let you have the Dreadfort if you join my forces or whatever, you know. Well, maybe, but... Maybe see... the Wildlings could take the Dreadfort. Come <laughs> on, I want to get the Dreadfort involved. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it will. I mean, we certainly hear the name of other... I don't think it will. I wonder if, it will, if I'm wrong, rather. And we've heard the names of some of these other northern houses that are being introduced. You know, the Karstarks and, and the Manderleys and all that. At least it mentions. So you wonder if we're going to see some of those places. And there's some hint that we might, but we'll talk about that uh, during the... We've talked about some of the trailer discussion. There is some hint of that. But we'll In the way, a lot of people were wondering what was going to happen in Dorne when Doran was killed. Like, whoa, there's a power vacuum. Who's going to take... I feel... I wonder that about uh, the, the Stormlands, you know? I wonder that about some of these other areas when the leaders are taken out. So. Yeah. The Stormlands hasn't been very thoroughly explained on the show right now. Yeah. I think it's, it's probably kind of up in the air. They were really heavily decimated through the the various engagements and the war of five kings and yeah they're the the typical lord of this of the stormlands is the lord of storms End, but there is no lord of storms End, so that's just an issue that needs to be settled so they can't really you know that's something that something that usually that's the kind of thing that typically waits for the end of a war you don't just like yeah because that person is going to have to go establish themselves they can't just walk up and be hey this is my yeah. castle now <laughs> I, I, again i my logistical mind someone's collecting taxes you know what I mean? No, not so, no, not necessarily. No? They do not right, have to be collecting. Yeah. They do not have to be collecting taxes. That is not. We do not have to assume that for sure. But, but tax not, collecting stops like, during war yeah. a lot of times because that. I mean, you got to think. This is not you know like like in modern times. People take, pay tax. They send checks. They send 
the mail still runs. Take it right out of your bank account. They literally cannot. Yeah, they literally cannot send out tax collectors. The war, it's yeah. war torn. You know, like they can't do that. You know, and I and when things are settled, that matters. Like that's kind of one of the things. If if the show is going to get into that level of detail, you would think that they have council meetings about it. like, hey, we're not getting our tax money. What do we do to yeah. get that flowing again? But that's just kind of and granular yeah, detail. They just don't of, have time for that. Part of why King's Landing fall apart. They don't have enough money to feed the people because they can't collect taxes from the Stormlands or the North. Right, because so, taxes, yeah. taxes, that's another important point there, actually. Taxes is not money. Taxes is usually, I mean, it can be money. Taxes usually in kind. When those small folk are taxed around Westeros, they don't send coins. They send part of their harvest. They yeah. send animals. You know, they send hot livestock. That's the kind of taxes they pay. So, that's which goes to show how... The, the logistics of collecting that is even more yeah, difficult, yeah, right? Like yeah. <laughs> what was happening in the Riverlands during the beginning of the war is Gregor was going around and just slaughtering all the animals and burning the harvests. It's yeah. like, oh, well, who's going to pay taxes now? They don't have any taxes. Like it was all destroyed. So that's part of, yeah, so you're right. All that level of destruction makes everything grind to a halt, which is just all the more important reason to have a strong leader in place so that stuff doesn't happen. It's kind of the backwards from what we want now in our modern world. You want... In Westeros, you kind of need someone that's really got an iron fist. Like Stannis wouldn't be a good president of the United States, but he might have been a great king of Westeros because, yeah. sure, he's going to be a little too harsh. He's going to be unfair, but he's going to keep this kind of nonsense in line, like the kind of the people squabbling, the people infighting. That, at least, he would keep peace. Once you get to a certain yeah. level of stability, then you start to worry about yeah. people's rights, you know? Right, so. and it's the same with Tywin. Like, Tywin was a terrible person. I think Stannis was a bad, a, a bad guy, but a good man, you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to hang out with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tywin, similar in that regard. Like, Tywin was really good at keeping the peace. He's... His methods for keeping the peace were ruthless as hell, yeah. and he's a, you know, an immoral, you know, hypocrite. You know, there's a lot of bad things you can say about him, but in terms of like at a high level, you could do a lot worse than having him in charge. I mean, mm. you got to put things in perspective. Relative, relatively, like someone like the Mad King is. You'd much rather have Tywin Lannister in charge than the Mad King. I'd rather have Tywin in charge than Robert Baratheon too. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyway, uh, let's go on to our credits. Thanks to everybody for watching today. We're still in the early part of the season. The biggest moments have yet to come, but we've had some big moments already, with most of which is just kind of lining things up for what's yet to come. So very exciting to see where the rest of the season goes. Very excited to have you all along with us. Some thanks and acknowledgments coming in here. If you want to support the show, there's a number of ways to do so. You can go to our website, historyofwesteros.com, and there's a lot of things just right there on the front page that, that lead you to that. We've got Amazon links on the right there. Any, any one of those links you click through, anything you buy through that, once you've clicked on that link, it will be credited back to us. So if you do your shopping at Amazon, whether you're in the U.S., the U.K., or Canada, those are the countries we have set up so far. We're working on other ones. But that's a good way to support the show without costing yourself any additional money. There's no, there's no extra fees added on for going through our links that way. It's the exact same so that's all good. You can, of course, also make a donation through PayPal, through our website, and you can sign up on Patreon to make a recurring donation and to get access to special benefits like voting on future episodes or getting a cool title like these fine folks, such as First Lord Cash Craig, who is our Hand of the King and Black the Black Pupil. I always like to mess with his nickname and give new ones. i got to come up with a new one. I've been using that one for the last few times. All right, so... 
I'll think about that in the meantime. Thanks also to Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Thanks to Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Thanks to Lord John Reed of Castle Woodbridge, the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North and Warden of the North. Outside the realm, we have Rory the Rogue, Archer Extraordinaire, and King Beyond the Wall. There are fewer and fewer tribes to subjugate north on the wall because they're all fleeing the advance of the White Walkers. But the Savage Glide tribe was recently conquered by Rory, adding them to his ranks. The small council is made up of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight and Master of Whispers. We have Lord Robert Jacobs, the Master of Coin, Rosie the Clever, Master of Laws, and Lord James Tuttle, Master of Ships. We have Lady Dyerliz of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains, and Castle Great Bell as Breaker of the Second Stone. We have Lord Skip of the Velt, Lord of Castle Ganges. We have Cabethian Frozen, Lord of the Bricks, and Castle Crimson Light. We have Mary Meg, Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. We have Gregor the Toasty, who is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Jeffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake. Lord Greybay of the Green Queen City. And Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. We have Lord Garen de Havilland of Devil's Hand Keep. Lord Brandon Slate of the North's Hammer and Harbinger of the Old Gods. And Lady Bram, Light of Winter's Garden, Beak of the Northwest. Finally, Lord Mark Joseph, the Snow in Winterfell. Also, thanks to King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian blade, Steel Blade Fate. And also thanks to our Kingsguard. Lord Casey Harrison is our new Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. And we also have our Night's Watch additions. Lord Commander George the Golden and Lord, or rather, First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield, keeping the northern borders tight. Thanks so much to all other patron supporters and donators as well. You make the show possible. You can also rate us on iTunes, subscribe to us on YouTube. You'd be surprised how much those little things matter. They really do help get more exposure for the show. Things like having us be a suggested video or having us be a suggested show on iTunes. And this, during Game of Thrones season in particular, the hype is big. And there are so many other shows out there covering Game of Thrones. So we're so happy that you chose us. Now, with that out of the way, we still have a couple of minutes left. Let us chat briefly about what we expect to see next week. There are some cool things happening and some scary things happening. Frankly, the thing that scares me the most is this stuff with the North still, this Bolton thing. There's a, little, there's a scene where we see the Umbers riding, and then we see them show up, apparently. It's the, probably the same people showing up at Winterfell. And you hear Ramsay say, what brings you to Winterfell? And he says, we have a gift for you. It could be they've recaptured Theon, but I think it's Rickon. I was going to say, I think it's Rickon also. And oh, man, I just... You don't want to see a little boy getting tortured? <laughs> I do not. And I know that there's these people that get burned on these crosses at the end oh, of the season set up. Yeah. And there were rumors that it would be him. And now it seems like these there's just more and more to confirm these rumors. And nothing to suggest otherwise. So it's just really, really scary. Well, and, and <laughs> here's one thought on that, though. Is it... How would they know it's Rickon? They don't know... They think Rickon's dead, right? As far the as wolf. Knows, he's dead. The dire wolf oh, gives it away. yeah, yeah. He's got a dire, like, there's no concealing that. That's, like, the most give, biggest giveaway possible. Maybe so that could be the wolf. gift, though. Maybe it could be the wolf and not him. Maybe they could capture the wolf and not the boy. Yeah, but the problem is we hear this line at the beginning of the season in the pre-season trailer that says, do you like playing games, little man? And it's his voice. It's Ramsey's voice. Yeah. yeah. So I, I hate to be the downer, but it really seems like there's just almost no escaping it. Mm. It's just, like, <laughs> everything points to it, and nothing points to something else. 
Yeah, it could be the wolf. But it could be Tyrion. Why, why is he so... <laughs> and what's funny is, do you like playing games, little man? Tyrion's on the screen when they say that. Yeah, so that's how yeah. they fool us in that preseason trailer. But, you know, but that's Ramsey's voice. No doubt about it. I'm scared for little Rickon. Dang it. <laughs> maybe he'll get out of there. Maybe he'll be maybe he'll be captured, but in the, it'll be a happy ending. He escapes somehow, but there's just no escaping Ramsey, man. I'm just really that's just, it bums me <laughs> out. It really does. Poor little kid. Hopefully we're just wrong and this is just some sort of setup for just to make us in, intimidated by the whole thing. But we don't have much time left, so let's move on. We'll have to see how that goes. We get uh what's apparently another flashback scene, the the line and and now and now it ends. No, and now it begins. A lot of people already know what that line means. I won't spoil. If you do, it does come from the books. That line. So if you're familiar with it, you know what's coming. If not, well, I'll I'll only say that it's a flashback. It's another dream sequence. I have read the first book and I'm into the second book now even. So cool. I, well, I we'll leave that. Well, we won't spoil anybody on what's coming there, but let's just say it's going to be sweet. I'm really expecting it. I expect to see some really good action, some choreography. The one of those two Targaryen guys or Kingsguard, one of those guys is a real life expert swordsman. So you expect to see some some sweet action in that scene. They they specifically tried to cast someone who's actually really good with with swords i'm a fake life expert swordsman <laughs> me too i am <laughs> nowhere good at all with swords i'm an expert at being not good with swords yeah for real no really <laughs> i'm really bad with a sword <laughs> no i've never wielded a sword like probably most of you out there hmm there's also cersei talking to what we think is kyburn it sounds like she's she's saying something along the lines of if someone is benefiting from our misfortune, I want to hear about it. You know, someone, someone is benefiting from our this and that. And it, it seems like it's Kyburn, and he's the master of whispers these days, so that, that is who, it makes sense, that's who she'd be talking yeah. to. So she's upping her game again. She's getting back into things. She's been yeah. kind of hol holding back on the sidelines, but now that Tommen's come to her and asked for help. By holding back on the sidelines, she's been in a prison cell. <laughs> <laughs> Marched naked in front of the whole city, you know, all that stuff. I don't know why that would slow her down. <laughs> We got another side of Vase Dothrak. We know that we'll see Danny arriving there next episode, apparently. We get to see a bunch of slaves streaming in there, and I assume that means we'll also see Jorah and Dario again, but maybe not. And it seems likely that those things go together. And Arya is still talking about, still training, and Jaken is saying, if you want to be truly no one, you have to, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she seems to be seeing, we see more proficiency with her and her blindness. Yeah and training with the waif, etc. So I think we'll just see more of that. I don't know. We, we kind of talked about that we don't know where that plot line is going. I don't, I don't know that there's much more to yeah. say. This, I, this new I information doesn't can, change anything. I wonder us. if Jaken can read her facial cues and know whether or not she was lying when she said the girl has mm. no name. He did mm. accept her. He's like, all right, come with me. You don't need yeah. that. You're not a beggar. Like, he believed her. That's true. We'll so you, you wonder, yeah, whether he's just teaching her to be so good at lying that she's going to be able to successfully lie to him finally. <laughs> or whether he's just going to keep figuring it out and whether that's going to have things come to a head. Hard to say. So, but, but again, that little teaser didn't tell us anything terribly no. new. It's just no. more along the lines of what we kind of expect, which is that we don't know where it's going. And this didn't actually enlighten us much. No sign of more Ironborn yet. Uh, maybe that's another episode or two away, but maybe we'll get some of that next episode. Maybe maybe we'll be waiting. Certainly no sign of Dorne. Again, it looks like we'll be sticking with this main focus of Essos, mostly uh, Marine and the Dothraki Sea. 
We'll have a lot more of the north, I imagine. We'll probably see some more movement from Sansa. And maybe we'll maybe we'll eventually see Theon get to where he's going. I don't know if that'll be next episode or not. But as I've been saying for a while now, we're all in uncharted territory now. It's a lot of fun to not know what's coming, to be able to guess, but to not have certainty. That's part of the fun. I'm sure you guys agree. So stick with us. And if you're a book reader, come back on Wednesday for our book to show only, or book to show review rather, featuring Radio Westeros. And we will see you then. If not, we will see you on Monday or Tuesday if you're listening to us on iTunes because the audio versions of these episodes always come out the day after the video does. Normally during the regular season we put them out together, but everything is a bit rushed during Game of Thrones season. Get it out as fast as possible. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sean, for joining me again. Good to be here. And we'll see you folks next time. Valor Morgullis. Valor reread us. Valor rewatch us. All that good stuff. Do it. All right, folks. Next time. See ya.